welcome to the pilot episode of the Peripheral Views podcast. I am 50% of your hosting team, um, joined by the unheralded, the unequaled, the unrivaled, and always interesting Mr. Errol Hooker. Errol, what's going on today? Oh, nothing much. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're back. We're back on the podcasting airwaves. It's a uh, it's a new one. We got a new title. We've got a new th- uh, thematic setup. We're going to be tackling some new stuff. So, uh, are you excited about it? Oh yeah, seems like uh, we just have like a bit more uh, structure to this one. So, uh, I am uh, I'm pretty excited. I'm thinking we're going to go through some uh, pretty uh, pretty neat topics. Some stuff that. Uh, I don't think is necessarily talked about like all the time um, or at least stuff that isn't like the most popular, but stuff that at least personally, I feel warrants attention. So I am really glad um, that you brought me on here for this. Yeah, no, no, no. This is, this is going to be, this is a little different, a little less shoot from the hip. Uh, we've, we've done a podcast before uh, those of you who haven't listened to, it, but we, uh, our former podcast was a little bit more, uh, well, first of all, years years ago, um, didn't didn't make too much too much uh, impact on the uh, on the old radio waves, but uh, um, to the was... point where if anyone is a returning listener, I owe you five dollars. So yeah, oh, minimum. Reach out, reach out to <laughs> us, and I will get back to you on that. We appreciate it. We're, yeah, I mean that is that is the that is the that is the kind of loyalty you've got to reward. Period. Absolutely. But, uh, so yeah, so this, this is going to be a little different than our previous podcast. Um, and for our new listeners, um, just a little descriptor of what, uh, what's in store. Um, we're going to introduce some ideas, um, in, in, the, in, in the format of which we're going to kind of dissect them and deconstruct them. Uh, we're going to touch upon a few bits of information to help our loyal listeners, our future loyal listeners, that is, um, know exactly where to find our content. That's what's going on in this episode, or at least in this pilot intro. Um, we're going to, we're going to break down some contact info, you know, further inquiries, suggestions, and uh, we got to have that general feedback because we got to know where we're going. Yeah. I think um, like last time we discussed, uh, we definitely plan on being a lot more like hands-on in the community, especially this run through. Um, it, we only want to, or we only want to talk about what you guys want to listen to so if there's anything that you guys find interesting or might fit like the motif of what we have going on um reach out let us know and then uh yeah we'll if we're on long enough we'll definitely entertain almost anything so yeah i think like i don't know about you errol i don't want to speak for you too much here but like i think the major goal for or objective of this podcast is is going to be specifically to start as a format to deconstruct things that we you and i find super fun to talk about um you know that's most podcasts i feel like in the podcast spectrum these days it's mostly just an excuse for people to sit down in front of a mic and spew opinions um which is by the way awesome because you can do that in you know a free society um so we're going to do that but we're going to do that about stuff that we find interesting at first and then um as that kind of opens up and you guys start you know continuing to listen um we're going to take suggestions and like i said errol and i are pretty open open-minded so. yeah that's that's what i was gonna say there's honestly not a lot of stuff that we're not going to uh be able to like sink our teeth into eventually right. like there's if there's a little story behind it i am a uh, i'll be intrigued for sure for sure and we'll we'll do a little grazing here and then um through the uh through the process and make sure we're 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 touching things that are going on in the world um you know you'll you'll uh 
as we move along and this thing develops, you'll you'll start to get the gist of like what we're what we're getting after. We've typically we're gonna have a nice topic to deconstruct or you know dissect for the day in each episode. Um, and we'll continue to do that every time. But we're gonna make time, you know, even at the beginning and at the end of every podcast to, you know, kind of scrape off whatever is going on um in the back of in the backs of our minds, in the backs of our, the minds of our listeners. Um but uh, we'll we'll be we'll be touching a lot of different topics. Um, so for this episode, however, we are going to focus on some of the uh, at least in the intro part of this podcast, we're going to start talking about some of the contact info that you can you can reach us at. You know, just to give you a little lay of the land. Um, after that, we're going to do a deep dive into some of the dirty details regarding how and what the podcast will be focused on um, for future episodes, along with how we'll be unpacking those, um, those topics in each episode. After that, we'll do a, uh, after that bit of housekeeping is complete. Um, we won't keep you too much waiting. We won't keep you waiting too much further and we will dive headlong into the day's content specifically, um, what we're going to discuss today. Um, along with, you know, obviously those, uh, as we, uh, as we coined the, the, title of the podcast, some of those peripheral views along with the central topic today. So, um, Errol, do you want to let the listeners know where to find us? Uh, yeah. Um, we're going to be uh, found uh, or at Twitter. Um, you can find us uh, at peripheralv123 or um, email uh, right at a Gmail at peripheralv123. Uh, we'll be updating our Twitter page regularly with new content and release dates, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, so feel free to follow us there. Um, also, that might be one of the better ways to, uh, you know, get some, uh, uh, get the ball rolling on some like new topics. Uh, if any of them gain traction, well, it'll be a little, little hard for us to ignore there. Um, but yeah, and uh, we also plan on rele- releasing future episodes um, on SoundCloud, and the link's going to be uh, Peripheral V123 for that as well. Um, so yeah, we're not on Spotify at the moment, but we're definitely working towards it. Uh, we just got to get a couple episodes going. Um, we just don't really want to waste their time until we actually have uh, have something yeah. uh, good going here. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we should Working have uh, more stuff coming in a, in a couple weeks. We're gonna try to crank stuff out uh, pretty much weekly. We uh, we want to uh, we want to provide for you guys. So uh, yeah, hang in tight for some uh, announcements shortly. Perfect. Um, yeah, so that's that's the gist of where to find us. Um, those links we'll make sure to uh, attach those links to wherever we post um, on SoundCloud. Um, again, that's going to be at peripheral V one, two, three on Twitter. Um, if you want to reach us by Gmail, again, that's peripheral views podcast at gmail.com. Um, our SoundCloud, which is, we'll post on Twitter, the actual link to the audio to each file, every episode, um, soundcloud.com slash that's forward slash peripheral views one, two, three. Um, that's the SoundCloud link. You, you'll be able to get to it directly through our Twitter account. Twitter's probably going to be the place you're going to be able to find things most easily. Um, that seems to be the uh, that seems to be the app of the day. So we're going to make sure that that's where our stuff is able to be found. Um, the Apple Podcast, we um, it's not we're not quite there yet. Uh, we just got to get some some content under our belt, but we will uh, get published on there in no time, and you'll be able to find us in the Apple Podcast app just under yeah guessed it peripheral views just throw it in the old search bar uh spotify is coming up next after that and like like errol said we'll be working on launching that that website um no time flat we're going to be chipping away at that 
So we're moving into the format. Um, podcast was conceived to be a place for Errol and I to deconstruct and organize deeper dives into specific topics we find most interesting. While we didn't seem well, didn't want to constrain ourselves too much on those topics, um, there's a handful of topics that we would most like to dive into and churn out some episodes uh, for each topic in the form of episode series under the following categories. Uh, these series are going to sound a little bit like this. They're going to be there's going to be several of them, and they're going to be expanding. We're not going to be um, you know we're not going to be beholden to it. Um, so I'm going to go through the list now, so you guys have an idea of what we're going to be kind of tackling. Um, and I'm going to start with what we're going to be discussing today, um, or at least the series that we'll be discussing today. We'll have a film series um, that's going to be you know a series of episodes. Um, each episode will be uh, designated to a film, um, not a sequence of films, but just one simple film um, of any genre of any time in the history of film. Um, we're going to deconstruct the plot. We'll deconstruct a lot of different things, and you'll kind of get the idea of how that format unfolds as we get rolling. Um, we're going to take on some music, some albums um, that Errol and I find interesting. Um, like I said, no constraints on that. All genres, any type of music, we'll take suggestions from you guys via uh, email or Twitter or um, whatever social media we're on. Um, we're going to have a biography series that we're going to basically pick an individual we find significant and we will uh, deconstruct their story, try to tell some interesting anecdotes, um, things of that nature. We will have a geography series, which um, Errol and I, that'll probably be on the back end. That's going to be a little bit more challenging, probably a bit of an undertaking, but um, that's going to be uh, specific around locations, cities, countries, a little bit of, um, you know, we're going to do a, a deep dive or a deconstruction on that kind of stuff too. That's going to be, like I said, a little bit more of an undertaking, but we could construct something that's fairly interesting. We want to pick locations that aren't so obvious, you know, it's going to be, you know, it'd be one hell of a pair of a series to talk about Paris, you know, <laughs> just the history. Of <laughs> we're just, we're just doing Paris today. Like, but we're not going to do that. Um, no, we're, we'll find something a little esoteric, something up our alley, and we'll we'll, we'll do what we can to deconstruct and make it interesting for you guys. Um, we're going to do books. Uh, obviously, books are, you know, hot topic nowadays. They can be a little bit controversial, but we're not going to be doing, once again, just like the Paris analogy, we're, we're probably not going to be doing, you know, Hamlet. Um, but we'll, if there's a new book out, a new novel, something something in the deep, dark corners of Errol and I's interest, um, we'll throw it up on, the, uh, on a poll or... Um, however, we got to get to it and uh, fiction or nonfiction um, from any time. Um, it's really at the Errol and I are totally in, in the driver's seat on this one, but we are looking for uh, public influence. So once we hit social media a bit more, we'll be completely open to, you know, whatever the interest is of our audience. So feel free to, like I said, our feedback is going to be super important. Um, a couple more. Uh, we've, we want to take on some historical events. That's going to be its own series. Um, we will be selecting classic sports events. That's another, that would be its own series. Um, a comedy specials, which is going to be, I mean, that's, that's kind of tough. We're, we're going to have a hard time with that, but we really would like to pick out some like stand-up specials that we found really funny and great um, for whatever time that they've contributed to be a little bit difficult to do, obviously, because, you know, you don't want to give bits away. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll throw it in there. We'll make it work however we can. And then the final two, um, 
series that we have on tap so far. These are not so much series. They, they'll have their own place in our podcast universe here, but uh, we'll do a cool ranking show. Um, we'll pick a time. We'll pick a, a, you know, it'd probably be something um, when we're looking to take a break, just a fun episode to sit down and maybe rank, you know, top 10 films here, top 10, al- top 10 albums there, top five directors, top 10, you know, uh, historical events that we've covered in the podcast, whatever it may be, we'll do a ranking show and the results of those rankings after we do them, we'll post them on the website, post them on the Twitter page and we'll, uh, we'll take it from there and see what you guys think of that. And the final series, uh, this is going to be our fireside chat. This is a cool one. Errol, you want to explain what the fireside chat's going to sound like? Um, to my understanding, it was, uh, just, uh, as close to our old podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, basically. We're just going to just kind of hang out, just chat about stuff, not necessarily have any topics, just uh, a little more topical than some of uh, some of the other stuff that we're going to be getting into. And um, I don't know, maybe just like, uh, I don't know, almost, almost like kind of like what we're doing right now, just like open discussion for like the future or like, you know, like plans. Um, yeah, just a, a little more open. Yeah, open, open-ended, open categories. We're not going to have. We won't be those. That's when we lift all the constraints, and we can actually. You have, know what? You that know. will that will be a time where we'll be able to uh, do a lot of like uh, answer like a lot of questions and stuff. Like, oh yeah, that'd be cool. Maybe we can do like a mailbag. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. This is the beauty of this is the beauty of the open format on that one is that we can we can kind of uh, what's the term we can act like those episodes can be kind of like chameleon esque. We will, uh, whatever the demand is. Um, yeah, know, if we don't, if we don't have any episodes like hook it up, we could probably throw, throw together a fireside in like a week or so. Yeah, so. and if we're, re- let me tell you guys, if you guys are listening, and all of a sudden there's been like six fireside chats in a row, the research became too much, and we just decided we're just gonna we're going back to the yeah. shoot the shit podcast. Probably a, uh, probably reading a book or something at the moment, or learning about Paris. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably where that's going to be. But anyway, so uh, those are the series. Um, the main ones we're going to be focusing on up, up front are going to be film, music, biographies. Um, those are going to be kind of the core for now. And then we'll continue to expand in some of those other series we talked about, like books, historical events, um, sporting events. Uh, some of those sporting events are going to be fun, too. You know, I, I wanted to, to add a little asterisk to that. We're going to probably kind of try to dive into some like classic fights, discuss like some classic boxing matches in the history of, uh, you know, the sport and in boxing and MMA, um, just some combat sports stuff, um, some classic games that were, you know, that deserve like a second look, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be more about giving a little extra shine to maybe some stories or some topics or events that kind of uh, maybe got swept under the rug 30, 40, 50, 60, even 70 years ago. Um, and given those a little, little, uh, little shine from uh, a couple of guys who uh, find it interesting. Um, but uh, like I said, the list of topics and categories will likely expand over time and include other content that we feel um, can contribute relevant dialogue and will include topics based on feedback we receive from listeners. So be sure to leave comments on our posts and pages. So that pretty much sums up the project, the podcast project moving ahead. So, uh, Errol, you got anything you would, uh, anything you'd like to add? No, not really. Other than I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, really uh, digging my teeth into this and, uh, you know, having some fun. Let's do it. Let's uh, let's dive into episode one. We will uh, we'll be back with you guys in just a moment.
All right, we're back. This is uh, Peripheral Views, episode one. We're gonna dive in. This is the uh, this is gonna be the 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 episode. We're gonna dive into the actual topic of the uh, of the podcast. What we're discussing on this episode, Errol, I gotta tell you, I couldn't be more excited. It's going to be a monster uh, discussion about a an absolute masterpiece of a film. Um, I'm excited to talk about a film as our first podcast episode, specifically because I really think there's just a lot to say. Um, and film is is a lot of fun to dice, dissect and um, really get into the dirty details of, you know, production and, um, you know, what the film offered. Um, but uh, before we get into what the film is and before we actually um, talk about The Thing of 1982, John Carpenter's absolute horror masterpiece, before we actually get into that, um, let's do a little let's do a little chit chat about what's going on in the world of uh, the movie industry for you, Errol. Um, anything anything coming out in the next uh, week, two weeks, three weeks, month that uh, has got your attention? Honestly, only thing I'm really looking forward to this year that I can think of off the top of my head uh, would be Oppenheimer. Um, always Excellent. been a uh, I've always been a sucker for. Uh, uh, for that whole period, uh, did I mean, uh, as we get towards the end of World War II, it was, I feel like, uh, there's almost like a no way to explain it. Like everyone was so frantic and like scrambling to, uh, come to power. And it's, it's kind of, it's going to be nice to, uh, see a, uh, a film portrayal of kind of like what was going on on the, on the back lines, because they're, uh, I, I feel like the, well, I mean, it's not even a, a, a crazy take. The, uh, the nuclear, the nuclear bomb is probably the craziest like advancement like ever. I don't think other than like, uh, in like, like literally the sun, like that, like that shouldn't happen. You know, that's, the fact that uh, we like split the atom and uh, we're able to just cause like mass destruction. I don't know. It's always been like really interesting to me, uh, terrifying. And it's going to be really nice to kind of see those characters personified. Absolutely. I'm a, uh, like, I, I could not be more with you on that because I honestly think in the hands of Christopher Nolan, who is, uh, I mean, everyone knows Christopher Nolan. This guy has basically done nothing but produce one you know, um, one epic after another. He is truly like the master of of, of film production at this point. I mean, and his, and his writing is amazing too. I mean, it, it's amazing that he's he's written the films that he's written. I mean, the guy has basically churned out one one epic film after another. He's he's. I mean, he's just an an absolute master. Um, I don't know. Did you did you see Tenet? Uh, was that yes. on your? Uh, you saw yes. Tenet. Okay. How what did you think of Tenet? Did you was it? um was it like a oh i've got to go i gotta go back to this one again and, and try to so, get my head around it or were you right in there so that's the thing i feel like not only did it warrant a rewatch i was excited to rewatch it yeah is, likewise that is um i feel like that's very hard to do in a film there's a lot of times where like you know you watch a film and then it just kind of settles with you and then that's the impact it has but uh this it's almost like necessary to do that it's kind of um I mean, it's it's visually a masterpiece. It's uh, uh, but all let, let, let's be real. All all his movies kind of are. Um, That's true. They all have a visual component that like it kind of supersedes the plot. Yeah, 
where it's I mean, almost it's, like a, it almost like a, the environment like takes on a life of its own. True. Yeah, he he did he did something in Tenet that I thought was weird that I hadn't really ever experienced with the film where it was like like um, there was almost a you could tell the influence was that like he really was like clearly interested in like um, doing his own like version of I don't know like you know born identity James Bond like um, okay, you know yeah, agent like- agent gone rogue type of uh, film but like he also just could not let go of like the thing that he does with all his movies where he's just going to fuck with time like right so yeah just a t- time cop with a twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically. basically. I'll tell you what, I'm a sucker for time cops. Yeah, That's, sure. Well, it makes it everything it makes everything a little bit more complicated, but like it also keeps things it may, it forces you to pay attention. Right. Yeah, and that is a uh, that is one thing that is right when you start watching it, uh you know you have to get like locked in It kind of uh, has that like air about it where you're like, "Oh wait, what's going on?" You're like, "Okay, I'm going to want to uh keep an eye on that for later kind of thing." Yeah. Yeah. So, well, circling back to, you know, Oppenheimer, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's as important a film as it could ever be in any other time. I mean, it would be important in any time if it came out in 1956, if it came out in 1996, if it comes out, if it came out in 2026, who, you know, it, it's all, it's always going to be an important topic. Um, I will say this, the, uh, the book that it's based on uh, American Prometheus by Kai Bird and Martin J. Sherwin uh, I do own a copy of, and I've I've actually kind of leafed through the first. I mean, it'd be generous to say I got through the first quarter. I mean, it's basically this this epic, um, you know, biography of Oppenheimer, and it's um, you know, uh, it's one of the. I, would, I always feel I always am of the opinion of you know specifically of biographies that like if you're not going to, um, if you're not going to, if you don't read it in full, you don't understand it. Because you have to, because it's the whole point of a biography is for you to encapsulate the human as best possible without the without the person telling you the story themselves. Um, so I'm not going to pretend as though that film, there that that novel, or, or I'm sorry, that uh, that book was um, you know influential in my view of Oppenheimer. But I will say it is um, it's extremely well written from what I have read of it. It's it's very um, detailed and it takes things. It takes things nice and slow, which is every biography. But um, I'm really curious to see what Nolan does with the, you know, the film version. Um, and uh, just as a just as a touchstone, I'll, I'll read the premise here. The premise for the film is um, it follows the life of theoretical physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer, who was the director of Los Alamos Laboratory during the Manhattan Project in World War II, and his contributions that led to the creation of the atomic bomb. Now, you could have heard the word Oppenheimer and probably just assumed that that was what the film was going to be about. I don't even think yeah. you need a plot uh, premise to be described. I mean, you just hear the name and the name is obviously, you know, you know, you know what that's about. But yeah, no. Um, <clears throat> what about you? What did you think of the trailer? Oh, the uh, the recent one? Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked it. Um, starting with like the Geica counters, um, and then uh, I'm trying to. It it ends. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you can countdown. I remember. Yeah, there's like a ticking in the background there too. Yeah. and I Brilliant. was like, oh, that's just it's kind of eerie. Uh, yeah. The one the one thing that I am interested in is uh, they didn't CGI the explosion. 
That's what everyone's talking about. So what did they do with it? That he they just made a replica. What? Yeah. In what, in what capacity? <laughs> so there's a meme going around that <laughs> <laughs> Christopher <laughs> Nolan just made a nuke just, <laughs> just to record it. I mean that's that's Hollywood power right there for the room. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like what do you mean you need twenty million dollars for a reactor? He's like, trust me, it's gonna be the best movie of all time. Well he looked at me and he said, Don't worry about the money, just find me the location. <laughs> He's like, we should probably actually film this at Los Alamos, I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah. Yeah, well I mean at that point might as well. I mean they've already fucking ravaged the land. I'm sure they don't uh have you ever uh, just and, and we won't perseverate too much on this because we do want to get to the film. But uh, have you ever have you uh, happened to get any any um, anything out of Dan Carlin's book? The end is always near. Um, apop- apocalyptic moments from the Bronze Age collapse to the nuclear near misses. No, I uh, I missed that one. Yeah, he he actually wrote a book specifically about. Um, uh, he wanted to. T- he, I think Dan, um, and I don't want to speak for Dan Carlin because you know the Lord knows the man could speak for himself times a million. But he, um, I really think he wrote that book. That the, the specifications around writing that book were centered around trying to like, you know, raise a red flag about you know that kind of thing and the significance of it <laughs> that we don't even acknowledge it like ever that like that's lurking in the shadows pretty much at all times. Oh, yeah, no, fair enough, because um, I feel like uh, while uh, we are in a very destructive time, it's also like a very safe time. Like we have the means to like cause a lot of destruction, but people have always wanted to kind of, uh, you know, do bad things since the start of time. That's for so sure. It's kind of nice to see a uh, like not nice, but it's always uh, important to see the progression and what led us here. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Uh, good reflection. Um, it's good reflection to see that. And I'll, I'll be anxious to see the film. Um, I'm really excited to see Oppenheimer. I can't wait till it comes out. Uh, Chris Nolan never failed us before. Uh, that comes out. Uh, let's see. Let's get a, let's get an exact, I believe it's the summer, right? Uh, July 21st, 2023. Uh, he actually is using, interestingly, he's using a new composer. Um, he's usually a Hans Zimmer guy for music, but it looks like he's going to be going, kick things over to uh ludwig goranson um i'm familiar um, but uh either way should be a great film really excited to see it um that one that might be a you know release day go see it at the theater the day it comes out kind of deal um yeah. for my film and uh you know i want to make sure we, we keep moving things ahead here but uh you know I, we don't have to perseverate too far i've got a film that i'm like super excited about um don't even have to say too much about it because it's really uh it's just one of those um it's a franchise-esque film i guess you could call it um but it's it's due out june uh june 30th 2023 this summer um and that is indiana jones and the dial of destiny i mean it's the last installment for the Indiana Jones franchise. Harrison Ford is in it as Indiana Jones for let's hope the last time. Uh, <laughs> I mean, homie's like, not, he's got, he's 80 years old. I mean, what are we doing? What so we doing? I, I've never been the biggest fan of the series and by like um, biggest fan, I just, uh, you know, maybe seen it like on and off on like TV, mm-hmm. but the one the one thing I will mention is what I would kind of like to see happen is uh, why wouldn't they recast Short Round? 
Yeah, that's actually that's actually well. I think that that his like resurgence. As, <laughs> well, before we get into that, I honestly thought you were gonna say like I really thought that that tangent you were going on where you were like, yeah, no, I wasn't really a really big fan of the film. Um, not a big fan of the franchise. Haven't really got into it too much. But I I will say this: the real thing I really like to see. I'd like to see him die. I'd like to see him. Die. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see it's, him end it. Like just. I'd like totally. to see. I'd like to see the Nazis literally tie him up to a post and crucify him. Like. <laughs> Probably. They just they tie him up and then like uh, the sun shines through some kind of uh, window and then it just bores a hole right and just fucking melts him just like just like the the, the lost ark did. Um, <laughs> no, uh, no, I think that uh, the old short round that's that. Well, first of all, that story was you know incredible that he you know came back to acting so many years later and won an Oscar. I should have I should have said that for my movie because that movie really is good. That's I need to rewatch that one. Ooh, uh, everything everywhere all at once. All at that once. Was, yes, yeah. that is. Yeah, um, I've heard it's great. I heard it's great. I haven't seen it yet. You've, you heard it, it is. It's a really good movie. It might be. Like technically, one of the best movies I've ever seen, and I'll just wow, that's interesting. Technically, that's big technically, yes. It uh, honestly, it's a, it is, it's really good. Interesting. Okay, yeah, no, I'll throw it on the queue. I, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll get around to that one. But uh, yeah, Indiana Jones, uh, circling back to you know uh, Indiana Jones, which is, <laughs> I mean, you just yeah, it's, it, Indiana Jones is so fun because it's it's it is that's all it is. It's it's the only purpose that it serves is just to be super fun. Uh, there's plot holes throughout every film. They're all um, extremely nostalgic. They're wonderful. Um, they're great all the way through. Um, and I can't I can't say enough great things about them. Um, really excited to see this one. I hated the fourth one. Wish they hadn't even made it. Um, I'm hearing through uh, reviews in you know in the world of like media and such that um, you know that this one really kind of corrected that um you know the the kingdom of the crystal skull was like pretty weak as a you know as a sequel i, I think we all i think any true indiana jones family would be happy to forget that it ever came out but there are some diehards out there is that the one with the where he hides in the freezer yes yes unfortunately which See, actually was probably at, the best scene in the film i work at an appliance shop so i consider myself safe during a global thermal nuclear war because I got yeah. like seven fridges, I'm gonna just put two back to back. Or... You got to go back. You need two of them. You got some small fridges, bro. You need a big. I can fridge. just open them up, and then I can just have like a little space. You should just get like 17 of them and just round them up, and you can get a whole family in there and save right. a bunch of folks. You're like, you could be the Schindler of. <laughs> you can be the Oscar Schindler. You're the Oscar Schindler of nuclear holocaust. You know what's fridges. Uh... You know it's funny they actually have a reference to that exact scene in uh mm. in uh, one of my favorite video games of all time, Fallout New Vegas. Uh, really? If, of like yeah. saving the Jews or that scene? No, no. Not as you learning. No, I could have uh, got one more. I could have got one more. No, the um the fridge scene where he like mm. hides in the fridge. So uh, you it's it's based in a post apocalyptic uh, Nevada, which just. Right. already sounds like hell like you know already like just man that's the worst place ever so um as you like walk by the wasteland uh you have a chance of running into an encounter of just a a dead skeleton in a refrigerator mm. and like that game is like uh like based on like a like 
uh, nuclear fallout like it uh, New Vegas. So it basically, so it basically, he's, it's like this is not working. Indiana Jones saw the bombs dropping and then he got in the fridge, but it just, it just didn't just work torched. as it wouldn't. Like just, oh, yeah. that would have been that would have been so slick if it came out after the fact and they put like a a, a crack whip. Like, well, they did. They put in a they put in a hat. They a fedora. A, oh, they yeah, put a they fedora. Put in a, yeah, That's so it's funny. like. Okay, it's an Indiana Jones s character who is yeah. like, oh, I reckon, I reckon That's, I got one shot at this. And just the bull, got, it's got a, it's got a fedora and a bullwhip, just like, just racked on the side and just nothing but dust. That's hilarious. Yeah. No, well, excellent. Okay, great. Well, listen. Either way, uh, we're gonna forget about. The, I, I hate that we've now digested uh, the Indiana Jones series and you know via that very silly scene in the uh, fourth one because it is a great series. The first three are iconic. They're super fun. They're realistic. They're not, you know, there's not a whole lot of like, you know, fat on them. They're, they're just goofy and extremely fun. This one's great. All-star cast, Harrison Ford back. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen is the playing the, uh, playing the villain, which I mean, that's great. Um, you know, love that Antonio Banderas is in there for some reason. I'm not oh, sure. Who's okay. Uh, John Reese Davies is back as Salah. That's just awesome. Cause he, I don't think he was back. No, he wasn't the third one. I'm sorry. He wasn't the third one. Um, who else is in there? Um, uh, Toby Jones, um, uh, it's the, the cast is pretty insignificant on, on account of the fact that it's it really truly is just a, a great series and i think there's going to be a lot of fun to be had with it um obviously john williams coming back to do the score you know you gotta love you hear that you hear that that score from that film and you know it's and pure he doesn't he doesn't attach himself to anything that's necessarily bad let's who john williams no no yeah, well spielberg i will say this this will be kind of my last tidbit on the film spielberg this is the first of the series that spielberg will not be directing um turning over the directing responsibilities over to james mangold um james mangold pretty good career guys guys made some great films he's, he's I, done some I, good did stuff. Read, I did read somewhere where St- spielberg was happy with it though I heard this too. Yes, I heard that he was he was glad. I mean, this guy uh, Mangold has been, made some great films. Let's go through uh, quickly his little f- filmography. Um, just prior to this, he did Ford versus Ford v Ferrari, which was uh, super. I wanted to see that. Yeah, I got really good reviews. Matt Damon, Christian Bale. Um, he did Logan, um, which was okay. Really? Great. Yeah, I saw Logan on a plane. That was that was amazing. Um... I would argue it's one of the best, uh, like superhero movies almost to date, just because a lot certainly of the, the times, most vicious. A, a lot of the times, like with the Marvel movies and stuff, there's really a almost like the Indiana Jones stuff. There's like no fat yeah. to them. It's just yeah. colors and explosions, and like the hero's gonna win. And uh, there's been a couple movies recently that have been kind of turning that on their head. So while I've been getting the superhero burnout, I am pretty excited for. Uh, Anything that's trying to, you know, push the boundaries and all of that. I, I, I'm yeah. a sucker for, uh, I'm a sucker for comic books and stuff. So, sure, yeah, yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of that, there's a lot of that going on, and I'm, I'm excited about it too. Um, we'll see here. Um, so, so moving on from Indiana Jones, that's, that's my pick for Jesus. I mean, 40 minutes we're in, and we're, we're just getting rolling here, but uh, <laughs> this is, this is, I love it. Yeah. We so, can always just hit the spoiler disclosure, get right into it. Now we could. We go, we'll, we'll coast through. Let's let's just we'll we'll keep we'll keep on 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 topic here um, as well. But uh, uh, recently, feud films. Anything you've seen recently? You want to you want to just throw out there, just to give it a, a recommend or an avoid. So, is it something you you think we should uh, 
just cast off into into the abyss and never never watch or anything you've seen that you're like wow that was really good um so almost uh right on that superhero motif with kind of uh like you know flipping uh flipping the typical genre on its head uh i really liked the film birdman i saw that recently mm, great pick. great i pick. don't i don't know why it took me so long to watch when i seen it out or when i when it was released i was like oh that looks like something i'd like to watch and it's kind of slipped underneath my radar uh, finally took the time to do it, and I, I love all the motifs in it. I love that it's just, like, you know, the old-school Batman just trying to struggle, like, almost, like, with his, like, mortality and, like, his previous fame from yeah. just being that flashy, mediocre, no-fat, like, you know, you can make yeah. millions of dollars just from explosions, and it happens. It happens in film all the time. Yeah, it's um, one of those. It's one of those movies that came out, and I feel like um, if you hadn't known that it won like every award or a bunch of awards at least, um, that you would have probably just skimmed over it, thinking, "Oh, this looks pretty third rate." Um, but if you pay close enough attention, I mean, the the guy, uh, the, its director is. Uh, Alejandro Inaruto, um, who is just mm-hmm. a master, uh, one of the one of the trio of like incredible Mexican um, filmmakers right now, and uh, you know he, he, I mean, imagine this: the guy went from making that in directly into the Revenant. Oh, that yeah. I didn't know. He, oh my goodness, yeah, he's but like that, that. Okay, that's I that boy's like pro- that. But that's a that's a reasonable projection because there was really nothing wrong with. Yeah, but here's here's the crazy part though. Those films are are a year apart. Like he basically made them like one year, like right after another, one right after another. Like like yeah, like borderline during each other. Yeah, I'm, I bet you. I would almost guarantee that the production, you know, um, there was a crossover in production. Um, and I'm not gonna lie, the Reverend, and that's probably one of my. I didn't. I'm I'm another bad one. when it comes to like a. Uh, like names and stuff i'll have yeah. to uh, like when stuff clicks though like the re- that's one of my favorite movies of like yeah sure no I've that seen, one's like recently yeah i would say that uh, that's a great pick though birdman is f- absolutely fantastic film um i've only seen it the one time when it first came out but it's one of those films that like you'd be i would i've been waiting for a time to watch it again and i, I think i'll probably you know, work that in there. My film I'm going to throw out at you is actually, interestingly enough, we could tie them together in a way because there's another, um, it's an, uh, another filmmaker um, of kind of the same style. Um, uh, uh, Denis Phil, uh, Villeneuve. I, I really, I, I, I struggle with his last name. Villeneuve, maybe. I think it's Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Um, he's a filmmaker out of uh, Canada who is just an absolute savage. I mean, the, the man has done nothing poor yet. Like, everything he's touched has turned to gold. In fact, one of his films, you and I saw together, um, if you don't recall, we, Errol, we watched uh, Arrival. Um, yes. We saw that in the theater um, even a few years back. But uh, he's, the guy is just, con- and obviously, you know, he's becoming a lot more famous right now because of uh, Dune, the, the, the Dune films. Oh. Okay. Yeah, he's made the Dune films, but that's those are actually not the picks the, of the films that I'm going to uh, throw at the uh, podcast for a recommendation. The film I'm actually going to um, is a strong recommend if, if anybody has missed it yet, which it's a little older. It actually came out right around the same time as Birdman, maybe a year apart or so, but uh, it's called Sicario. Um, it's It came out in, in 2015, and it is about, uh, I mean, it's, it's about as action-packed as a thriller can get um roger deacon's doing the cinematography who is an absolute master um 
the uh, the film is just an absolute powerhouse. It's it's truly it's truly impeccable in terms of the style of film that it is. Focuses on you know FBI special agents in the uh, in the cartel on the Mexican border. I mean, and and when I say that, like that should already grab your attention as an action packed thriller. But man, this movie somehow takes it up a notch into like this unbelievable um plateau that uh i don't think there's been a film around the mexican drug cartel that's ever quite done it the thrilling justice that this one did it was it was it was quite quite potent of a film i mean you you don't want to miss that one yeah i believe i have missed it so i'll have to check that out sticking on the old list um so i've got a product i want to push a little bit actually the um there's actually two products I'm going to throw at the uh, podcast listeners as we're kind of rolling into minute 40 here and uh, we'll get to the film here very shortly. I apologize for the slow, the slow start, but we'll, uh, we'll get rolling here. I do want to push um, a couple of things here at you guys. Um, we're going to drop a spoiler disclosure. I don't even think it's necessary to say, obviously we're going to talk about a film today. Um, the film is going to get rolling and we're going to discuss it in detail and we're going to discuss the plot and we're going to discuss as much of it as we can. Um, so, cause I think that makes for a good, a good podcast. It makes for a good discussion between Errol and I. Um, so if you're in the podcast and you're taking a listen for the first time, just know we're going to, we're going to probably be spoiling some shit. There's going to be some death, especially in a movie like this. Um, so get ready for that. That's coming your way. Um, the, uh, <clears throat> the idea that we're going to go at here is that there's a couple products I also wanted to include, um, one of the products, not so much a product, more of a content producing entity, and that is uh, the All the Right Movies podcast. I want to push those guys. Those guys are wonderful uh, dissectors of film, similar to the vein of this part of our podcast, this little niche that we're going to be taking on. Those guys do a wonderful job. They've actually done an episode on the thing before, and those guys just absolutely nail it. I mean, they just nail it front to back. We're going to do our best. We're, we're going to still live in a shadow of those of those guys. Um, but if you're looking for a podcast that does just films, I mean, these guys just nail it. All the right movies podcast. Um, you can look at, you can find them on Apple. They're everywhere. They're all over Twitter. They're on Instagram. They're on Snapchat. They're on TikTok. I'm pretty sure they have, they've left no stone unturned and man, they just absolutely hammer the, the film dissection game. And I want to give them a quick plug. Um, so if you guys are looking for more of what you're going to find in this episode, because we are going to deviate from film um, quite a bit, like, uh, we're not going to focus entirely on film throughout the course. We will be definitely circling back to quite a few movies. Um, this is going to be part of our construction, but um, if you're looking for film and you want to hear some nuanced um, professional opinions on, you know, you know, production on, on music and scores on cinematography on, um, you know, behind the scenes, stories about production these are the guys you want to listen to they're they're wonderful um you know don't forget about us because we're going to do our best too but these guys are great uh big influence on the construction of this podcast all the right things all the right movies i'm sorry uh podcast um find them on apple find them on um twitter they're all over the place give those guys a shout um so errol uh let's get into today's podcast what do you say i think we've got the spoilers down um we talked about some movies that we are interested in that we've seen recently or are coming out but uh what do you say we uh we dive into uh john carpenter's the thing
dude. Yeah. I, my first comment, what I would say, if I had mm-hmm. to describe the thing or the film in one word, it would be phantasmagoric. Oh, <laughs> yes. So, a little, I can't. little, little yeah, big of, perfect. it's got kind of a big word, a little fancy, but mm-hmm. it's, Great. um, it describes something dreamlike, uh, fantastical, unreal, deceptive, or shift or, or shifting appearance, like an optical illusion. Um, mm, perfect. It's, it's almost perfect. Like what, like that would almost perfectly describe the thing. Um, not only like how it operates because yes, it's a shape shifting entity creature kind of, it's, let's be real, uh, without, a. I mean, that's spoiler warning already. It's it's like a bacteria. Um, that's just what it is. If uh, micro microbacteria specifically. So if uh, if we look at the sequel, uh, Prince of Darkness, it's uh, the liquid essence of Satan, is what it is. Oh, so they do expand. See, interestingly enough, yes. I've actually never seen the sequel. And I, I, I always have always wondered where the uh, topic goes. Well, we'll get into that. We, I think we should we, we'll hold off on some of the development of you know where that goes. Let's introduce the film a little bit. Like, let's dive into specifically um, what we what we get out of the film because it is. I think you're right, and I think that I actually think to a certain degree, you're the word you you confounded there which I, you didn't confound it actually it, it turns out it's a real world real word can we can we uh circle back to it um yeah. could you give us another uh rundown of, give us give us the the definition of that word again so on top of it uh being like uh just like a dream like a fantastical unreal deceptive shifting like appearance it's also a form of uh it's a uh, form of horror theater phantasmagoria or interesting yeah, so it's um the uh the original is uh just a all it was is just like uh like lanterns to like project kind of like stuff on the walls and uh that's kind of like where it gets its definition like a phantasma like a like ghost like um mm-hmm. but always shifting but I um I think both the uh the thing itself and the air that it creates like where it's kind of around or like creates like in the movie is uh it's definitely like spooky but not in like your typical like there's a monster and we have to like track them down and he's coming for us but like spooky as in like you know we don't exactly know what's going on as you're watching it no it's more menacing it's more menacing than that right so like you get that sense and and you know um before we before we kind of start unpacking the, the plot because I, I do agree i think you're on you're on the nose with that is um you know the the film itself seems to kind of focalize on this like i think you actually pointed out to me in you know off air about it being a bit of like there's definitely a an, an objective of trying to accomplish body horror um i think that was exactly right i think that's what john carpenter was looking to do um in a lot of the film and you can tell he's just having a blast. Like, is he not just having so much fun making this movie? I mean, every scene within the first hour you, is... You get a, yeah, you, you get a taste of it uh, at, like, a, the, at the fun that's about to be had in the movie. Even um, at, the, at the very beginning, um, when the, the gentleman shot 
and it's uh, he's just grazed by the bullet. They're doing like the stitching in there, like uh, mm-hmm. they just they immediately show that they're not scared to uh, you know like work with flesh. And then yeah, well, did you notice that when he's doing the stitching, like, damn, that boy lost some blood, huh? God damn. I mean, I know it's a prosthetic, but it's like holy shit, that that dude's leg was as I mean, it was as flush as a ghost. It was. Right. I mean, it looked a little fake, obviously, but but you know, you can't you can't get everything exactly right, you know, and, and it looked pretty good. But and you know what? If you got a gunshot wound, you definitely. But I will say this: that was actually it's interesting you brought that up. So um, we'll introduce the first like scene of the film. Obviously, the film opens with like an outer space shot, right? So it's like black screen, and you get like those intro credits, um, and then it's a black, and then you, you you see the stars, and you know. Um, you see an alien spacecraft um, kind of get absorbed by the universe, it seemed like almost, or it just well, it disappears when it enters the atmosphere. Is that what, yeah? It, it what happens is it um it crash lands. Mm-hmm. So when I first watched it, I was like, oh my god, the thing is a uh, it's a technologically advanced species that's spacefaring. So immediately, what that means is that it's smarter than us. And I was like, that's absolutely terrifying. But mm-hmm. then you kind of, you know, it was kind of sitting with me. I was like, wait, that thing's like, it's a spaceship and it's crash landing into Earth. So I don't, error. Yes. I right. think the same thing that happened at the Norwegian camp and the same thing that happened at the United St- or the United States uh, camp happened on that spaceship. They probably had, right. They probably had a sample quarantined and they're like, we need to do something about this gets out takes form of one of the aliens and then just fire and brimstone the aliens go we need to crash land this some we need to do something so uh best chance if you crash it into the arctic negative 40 they're like that's our best chance it's our best chance of survival or at least we can like contain this um so interesting love well interesting side note though um also have to remember in including uh your theorizing here that scene, that opening scene with the spacecraft crashing, um, it's it's actually dated, right? Yeah, like, hundred thousand so years ago. Hundred thousand years old. So that scene is actually, and you gotta. Interestingly enough, they don't they don't actually spell this out for you, which I appreciate from filmmakers. They don't make you. You don't have to. They don't need a, a subtitle to like tell you this. But like, you know, after viewing the film once, you go back and watch it a second time and know that that film there that scene is specifically dated. 100,000 years previous um so you know that the film you know that the spacecraft actually crashed um prior to the very next scene which is when it had taken the shape of our you know beloved husky um sprinting across the arctic um getting shot at from uh, a sniper out of a helicopter which is one of the weirdest and coolest um opening opening scenes in a film right i mean it's it's so hard to portray that kind of panic to the point where like, um, cause even before, like, you know, exactly what happened to them. You just mm-hmm. see a bunch of guys screaming in an, in an unformed language. And they're just shooting at this dog flying low in a helicopter. But it's um, calm. That's the difference though. It's like the, the, the scene is it's, actually it's, pretty calm, which the, but the, only because of the chopper. The, the chopper dog, is drowning out. The dog as it's running. I don't know if they tried to portray it like this, but it it looks calculating the whole the whole movie. Looks it a little looked, playful. I'm, I'm telling you, look back at that movie. That dog is scheming. And my second watch through, I've never been more <laughs> unnerved by just a dog in a movie. Like so, every single movie, dog gets shot. 
awful. That's the you know worst I'm ever feeling in a movie is once the dog gets shot. Uh, this movie, like, please just shoot the dog, throw it in first. <laughs> like that was the one time where I'm like, I don't like it's a it's a cute dog, so I don't. It almost yeah. uh, the uh, it triggers almost the uncanny valley, and it shouldn't. It triggers something, or at least it triggered something primal in me where I'm like, I know that that dog's not right. And um, it does. It has a couple mannerisms in the film that I feel like uh, accurately portray that, which um, they they come up relatively soon. So um, I will get into that. But uh, yeah, that thing. Uh, if you look at the map later, where it shows uh, how far the dogs were, uh, Blair was correct in saying like uh, no dog live can run a thousand miles in the you know, Arctic. They were a very far distance away from the original thing. So that thing was just running in the cold for probably like, like two days straight. Yeah. Very robotic too. And I wonder what they did to make that, that dog. Cause I, I do agree. I agree. I think the dog's performance is one of the better acting performances in the film. Thank and you I, for I saying really... that because that was, he, I was going to say it's, if not the best performance, that dog handler is a tier. And not only that, but somehow they made the dog, they somehow, well, and I hate to jump ahead into the, because we, we're getting into the plot a little bit ahead of schedule, but it doesn't matter. I mean, it's important to note that, like, they somehow managed to get that dog into the cage with the other dogs and to make him appear apprehensive about it. Like, I don't know. Well, I couldn't so, even figure out how they so, did that. So here's here's what, um here's, because that is uh, arguably, like, one of, if not my favorite scene, then, like, one of the uh, one of the parts that like uh, my favorite scene leads to mm -hmm. uh, Clark, the absolute bastard. Yeah. Clark would not survive if I was there. I don't weird think fella, or not. Isn't he? Weird fella is exactly what happens at the strange. end. Just a weird guy. Just strange. Yeah, did, I don't care. Well, interestingly enough, because, it, but his performance is strange because he, obviously the goal of his, of his, of his character is to make you assume that he's actually been, um, that he's actually been imitated. He's but the like, biggest red herring of like all time, but it's almost. But he's not. That's my only gripe about the film. Like I don't to the point where if something's that serious and someone's gonna be like, oh, don't shoot the puppy. You're next. I'm sorry, but you're next. In my mind, like it's just too stressful of a situation to deal with yeah. an outlier like that. To the point where I would assume he would have been dead before the fire test. Before the that's actually <laughs> an that's a very good point because I actually do agree that like in most horror films I, I think that a character like clark is probably out but that's what makes it such a unique film right like it's it's not like other horror movies like characters that you assume like palmer right palmer yeah. is so unsuspecting you think palmer is going to be the badass at the end with the flamethrowers riding out side by side with Matt, smoking right? a J. yeah like you think <laughs> watching watching wheel of fortune right like, no only, he's not but there's only one hint at that that i found with palmer Interesting. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. Let's let's introduce the film a little bit more, you know, strategically here. Um, so the film is obviously, you know, for those who haven't seen it, um, or for those who have seen it and maybe haven't seen it in a long time, the film is obviously it's John Carpenter's horror masterpiece from 1982. Um, it's got a it's it's. It's centered around um, some, a, a group of science, American scientists, engineers who are working in the Antarctic. They're basically um, they're basically stumbled upon by a sled dog um, being chased by a helicopter. That's the opening scene um, that Errol and I are discussing here. And the um, 
the the scene unfolds and it unfolds in a very captivating way it grabs you like you can't you can't look away first of all you can't look away from the landscape i mean the the cinematography is gorgeous this is done by um by cinematographer uh dean coondy who is um he's done he's worked with john carpenter quite a few times um i think he actually did the original halloween let me take a look i'll pull up his uh filmography but he's he's done quite a bit of work yes yes um, you're right done, he, yeah and you know what? it looks at also that he did uh, oh yeah he's he's a powerhouse i mean he's done he did the, all three back to the future films the man oh, good lord i mean he did who framed roger rabbit uh, which is iconic for like uh, in terms of visuals like i mean you don't get another film he did the fog we're talking um a couple of the halloween films all three back to the futures like i mentioned apollo 13 which was his um most uh, accoladed um work so uh, i mean and you get a sense for that as soon as the film opens you get a you get this like unbelievable arctic backdrop um what did you think about uh, what did you think about the the title sequence with like so as like this the the picture kind of it kind of like devolves and then I thought it was really interesting the way that you know when I say title sequence I mean like it shows you John Carpenter's the thing but the way that the the two words the thing they transform into the screen is very I think strategic i think he did it intentionally to make almost to make it seem like those words or the thing itself was like metamorphosing into the screen right right yeah like doing the imitating yeah like it that's exactly how the thing would like you know uh like uh project itself if it was uh you know it's there the whole time it looks normal and then it's it opens up and then it's there it forces its way into the norm where like you'd watch a film with a normal title sequence where like the words would just appear and then you know what film you're watching. Whereas the thing slowly creeps and just kind of, it like forces its way and shape shifts into the screen. And I really loved what they did there. I thought that that was, that was really, it is kind of one of those unspoken um, brilliances of the film where like those little attention, those little, you know, uh, detail attentions are, are, kind of can get overlooked but like this film does a ton of those things i mean they're just they're littered throughout um so you know uh circling back to the plot you know that's the way the the film opens it opens up in that way we're introduced to um we're introduced to a norwegian basically chasing after a sled dog in a a chopper he's shooting at it from from a rifle and that and that scene is just it's like i said it grabs you because you're very curious as to what's going on like why are we why are we following this this um, you know this rifleman from a helicopter um, trying to gun down a dog? Um, so uh, so you know moving forward, you, you're then introduced to R.J. McCready, who is maybe one of my favorite characters in any film, like basically ever. Right? Um, uh, Kurt Russell's character, uh, R.J. McCready, is just and I mean, do you get? Is it just me, or is this guy just spelling badass like you've never seen? No, that's before? that's pretty much um the whole like act that he's trying to purvey. But the thing is, there's a lot of times where I feel like the uh the like the quote unquote badass character is also like like not level headed. But that is like not the case for uh, for Mac. There, he is uh, Mac smart. He's calculating. He's um he's a smart man. He's uh. I would argue almost as smart as the thing, 
or at least he's smart enough to not underestimate it. And they do a really, really good job in the first scene where you meet him and portraying that, if you ask me, because what he is doing is he's playing chess against an artificial intelligence. Um, right. That's about as cold and calculating as you can really get on earth as you would like, you know, find in the thing. If you ask me, like, it just it makes the best decision that it can in the, you know, that's available. Yes, that bitch. That. And then what happens when he loses? <laughs> what happens when he loses? He's Gene like bitch. zero he net anyway. game. Exactly yeah. zero net game. He's like I can just I can burn this whole thing to the ground. Yeah. And then he just uh he drowned nice in cubes. alcohol like he yeah. uh like, like he, he does, does a lot of other stuff. Yep. Yeah, he right, just solve all, like he solves all his other problems. Yeah, and let's be real, there's not a lot of stuff that alcohol can't solve, and he's right there. Yeah, he got that. He had the nail on the head. Well, the interesting part about that character is also that he's um, <laughs> he 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 manages to uh, excuse me. Um, he manages to portray like he, he kind of fends off any vulnerability. You kind of he does exactly. This is why the acting performance is so important, right? So um, I really think that he he nails the 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 very very important component of this performance in that he needs you to trust him as the audience member right yes you yeah. gotta there's, trust him there's no time as well where you really are like wait is he maybe even even getting ahead of myself when you find the tattered thing you're like it's not mm-hmm. he's set up when you find his tattered uh, shirt there yeah you know it's you because you because he already established your trust i don't know how or why and, and it's interesting because he doesn't have to unless you've seen the film like because and it's interesting because it's hard to it's hard to recall if you are questioning him the first time you watch the film because i had already known you know because having seen the film when i was young i knew i knew mac was good i knew that he was probably going to be he he in all likelihood, he I knew he'd survive, right? So spoiler, we'll get right to the spoiler. Like we know Mac is he makes it to the end. And he, he doesn't he doesn't get wiped out by the thing at any point. And you kind of know that. And if you once you know that, you can't I don't know is is it a chicken or the egg situation? Like, did you trust him because the performance is that way, or did you trust him because you saw the film once and you know? You wonder which which is um, which is the cause, but no, I th- so I think um, he just kind of exudes like he's he's such a um, he's such a personable character in the beginning, and you never see him waver from that. So it's very easy to assume that there wasn't like any kind of like metamorphosis that happened or anything. It would have you would have immediately seen something. So it. I feel like they did a they did a good job in making him the like a uh, main character, and while like uh, everyone else is paranoid, and it might even lead you to kind of be like, "Hey, what really? What like exactly what is going on with Mac?" That just uh, I feel like that just builds on the uh, paranoia that was felt from the people on the uh, you know on the site. Yeah, so like, agreed. If if we if we as viewers, fourth party viewers, like can't even, or sorry, third party viewers can't even like ascertain, like that's why they're at each other's throats every single time. Like, you know, they would have been ornery, um, like they were saying in the beginning. Even if there wasn't like a creature there, you can go crazy, like you know, five minutes if you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Miles brings that up. Uh, yeah, at one okay. point, pretty early. Uh, uh, Nulls, no. I'm sorry. Nulls. Yeah, Nars, yeah. Not Miles. Nulls. 
Um, so yeah, like yeah, he brings that up pretty early in, in the film. So, um, but anyway, so we'll 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 keep moving ahead. Um, had you seen the film before um, before viewing for the podcast, or and if um, you had, when? So yes, but also I was probably like like a teenager. Like I didn't like when it came out. I probably like watched it, but I didn't like actually watch it. You know what I mean? Um, I didn't sit down and really. It came out like, ninety. It came out in eighty two, so there's no way you saw it when it came out. But I see what you mean. I know no, what you no. mean. Like when I like I've I've just like watched it like when I was younger. Like I think right, um, right. when it I made it circulations it, in the in the airwaves. Yeah, and uh, I didn't really get much from it on my initial watching, just because um, I think I was like just entertained with something else. But I do like remember. Uh, the uh anytime like the thing shifted like everyone's attention would like go to it and i was like oh that's like horrifying i was like that's okay it was like really boring before and now like look at that's crazy and then uh just due to like cultural references and stuff like that i always knew that the thing was uh pretty much like uh top tier and uh just like a predecessor to a lot of uh uh like body horror in general like one of the uh first movies to really like go there with the uh with the special effects and it, it really is grotesque like almost Truly. and the thing is it's like grotesque but not even for the sake of being grotesque like it is uh it's it's well done i think it's uh, very oh yeah no it's it's one of those films that like uh yeah likewise i had a similar experience with you i saw it when i was younger um i, I think it was on a tour I, I i had made a tour through film um <clears throat> especially horror you know uh the right time of year and the right uh, mood you can really dive into there's such a good surplus of great horror films um this one stood apart for me though um in a lot of ways like um the first time i saw it um was was like around the same age that you said probably in my early teens watched it um loved it and then just kind of it disappeared from my from my memory it was one of those uh experiences where i was like god i love that and then i just never circled back to it for a long time probably about 10 years um, and then when I did, I was so happy that I did because it was, um, I was like, wow, this, this is really, this is a special film and it's got a lot of like, it's got a lot of access to it. That's, that needs to be discussed. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the release, uh, of the film, um, stating here is that the lack of information about the film's special effects drew attention of film exhibitors in early 1982, they wanted reassurance that the thing was a first-rate production capable of attracting audiences. Cohen Foster, with a specially employed editor in Universal's archive of music, put together a 20-minute showreel emphasizing action and suspense. They used available footage, including alternate and extended scenes not in the finished film, but avoided revealing special effects as much as possible. The reaction from the exclusively male exhibitors was generally positive, and Universal executive Robert Rem told Cohen that the studio was counting on the thing's success as they expected E.T., the extraterrestrial, to appeal only to children. While finalizing the film, Universal sent Carpenter a demographic study showing that the audience appeal of horror films had declined by 70% over the previous six, six months. Uh, Carpenter considered this a suggestion that he lower his expectations of the film's performance. After one market research screening carpenter queried the audience on their thoughts and one audience member asked well what happened in the very end which one was the thing when carpenter responded 
that it was up to their imagination. The audience member responded, oh, God, I hate that. (laughs) 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 That's so interesting. So, like, he doesn't want to think. He just wants to be educated. Right, right, right. Sorry, he just wants to be entertained. Like, that's right. Like, just... Mm -hmm. So let's move that. We'll move that kind of in it, and I'll. I'll um, well, so that's. Um, it, I mean, uh, that kind of like goes to. Uh, it was overall when it was initially uh, started, it wasn't really well received. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It became, and we'll, we'll talk about that in this um, in this section because I want to talk about the. Um, I want to talk about 1982 because 1982 is a really just oh a monster God. year. Terrible monster. year to release a film. Yeah, I'm, you're kind of yeah. up for it. You're really up against it. Um, let's talk about some of the some of the big films in 1982. Let's uh, let's let's dive into them. So 1982, uh, we're talking. Let's talk about um, ET, like you said, of course. Yeah, ET, just, I, mean, I mean, ET, even to this day, like to this day. I mean, let's look at yeah. the let's look at the list. These are the top ten films in 1982 in North America in terms of uh, you know uh, box office grossing. You had ET who pulled in three hundred about three hundred and sixty million. Uh, which in that time, you know, is unheard of. That's multiple billions of dollars. I mean, that's probably one point something billion, one point two billion. Um, Tootsie. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Tootsie. That, that's something you. No, but I'm familiar with it. Good film. Very, very. It's like the uh, slightly more adult version of um, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Okay. Good film. That's actually pretty funny. Um, uh, an officer and a gentleman. Um, Rocky Three, uh, number four. Really. Uh, yeah, interestingly enough, uh, Porky's, uh, Porky's. I don't know if that's that. You know, I've heard Porky's is great. It's not. It's before my time. Um, heard it was good, but uh, haven't got to that one. Um, Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. Uh, number coming in at number six. Interesting, because uh, you know, I mean, I mean, I know that Star Trek was huge in the eighties, but uh, yes, yes, at the box office it's pretty crazy. Uh, number seven coming in is Eddie Eddie Murphy's Forty Eight Hours. Um, mm-hmm. Number eight, interestingly enough, this one holds up as far as I'm concerned in 1982. What a great film. Uh, Poltergeist. Great. Yeah, I was. it's crazy that that's number eight because, um, no, but it also makes sense because like you were saying, um, there was a 60% decrease in horror, but I'm almost positive Poltergeist, uh, almost more than the thing, was probably single-handedly played a part in uh, the revamp in horror because it's... It ebbs and flows the horror genre. I'm not gonna lie either. I don't. I'm not a big fan. I'm not a big fan of horror. I I prefer psychological horror. That's why I uh, dollars to donuts. I hold the thing above Poltergeist, but I will uh, never uh, ignore the uh, cultural impact that the Poltergeist had on uh, both like film and just like uh, the horror. Yeah. Genre no, I totally agree. And you know what, Poltergeist is a great film. And you, the reason that the re- you're absolutely right in that like resurgence in the eighties of like, well, you know, horror movies were doing that. Okay. Just went full slasher. Well, because of Spielberg, I mean, Spielberg is the guy. He's the guy. He he was involved in, in Poltergeist quite a bit. Oh, what? And that's yeah. So like he had his no no. Oh, sorry, no creep show. I thought that was a uh... no. Yeah, I know, I know what you're thinking. No, no, no. Spielberg, he, and you got to look. I mean, ET. Well, we could talk about ET one day. I mean, ET is ET is a great film. It is a great film. Um, that's a tough year for film. Can I general, can I ask a question about ET? Sure. Like, do you think they just left him? <laughs> no, because no, honest. No, okay. So no, that's not fair. Um, when you. As a child, even as a child, I was like, this alien isn't that smart. But it did learn English, like, relatively soon. But, like, 
I mean, he did know he did build like an intergalactic receiver, but I'd be like, why do you like need? I'm a child. Why do you need my help? Like, yeah, he I, he I didn't know. seem to be valued too much where from wherever he, from whence he came, but. I don't know. Well, we can dive into that in an ET episode, but we we I should just, too because it's it's a it's an American classic. I just I I feel like um an alien would be more capable on um yeah he was pretty incompetent. Oh no, so you know you know what here here's um the benefit of the doubt that I will give him if the Earth had higher gravity that would make sense why he was wobbling around and looked all like scrunched because he's like it's like oh yeah I mean when he entered the atmosphere. <laughs> Yeah, or like you know, if he lived on like a smaller planet or like you know, like a moon somewhere, like he's just like mm-hmm. it's heavy here, bro. I can't walk. They're coming for me. My he's spine like, hurts. Right, he's waddling <laughs> away from the you know. He's like, I I'm so fast on my moon, like, and I can like yeah. I could barely breathe the oxygen here. Okay, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, no. we'll keep it's, moving. We'll keep you. moving. No, listen, hey, we'll, we'll do ET. ET's got space for us, but uh, we'll get to it. You know, we'll get to it because 1982 was a. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no! Quick anecdote about ET. Uh, uh, canonically, his uh, his species is in the Star Wars universe. Oh, they worked him in. That's great. Yeah, there's a like a, a planetary like a like senatorial meeting, and then there's just a <laughs> little. There's two of them just yeah. hanging out. Two little ETs. Like a pair of ETs. Yeah, just like representing like uh, in the Senate, but like you, you know, know they just, that's great. They go past it real quick. <laughs> That's great because you know what? Oh I, no, I, they I, say they say ET might be force sensitive. That's why he's able to carry Elliot. But I gotta be honest. That's the thing about it is like I kind of feel like ET got forgot. He got forgot that poor that poor that poor film. Like it was such a monster. But like how many how many people are really truly you know? There's a remake coming up. I promise, man. I yeah, I will bet my life wrong. savings that we'll see one within a decade. No, I, you're not wrong. Yes. But anyway, so moving on, we're going to move on from films in uh, 1982. E.T., by far the uh, the monster. Um, quickly, though, do, give me a thumbs up or thumbs down. What do you think about that Thing poster? The, uh, the we'll say the, um, there's, I mean, there's several variations, but there's obviously well, if, the one. If you notice the, the main humanoid. one, if yeah. you notice the main one with the light shining, it's the same uh, kind of shine that's coming through with the Thing when it comes through in the title. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Yeah, I think like that, so they're saying like it's it's like not like personifying the thing, but I guess like actually like like showing it because it's not yeah. a when we when we're being real, it's not like a it's like a bacteria. It's not the monster, the monsters or the amalgamations that you see aren't the thing; they're a product of it. It's just what it wants to utilize. Like for, yeah, but like, I think. Like, the- I think what the poster is actually going for, though, which you're right. I'm not. It's not to. I don't mean to to disagree because I actually do think you're on the nose. But I think the. I think the goal of the poster is is that like, um, it's trying to show two things. Number one, the transformation from thing to human and not be too obvious but it's also trying to say that it's trying to show that there's a like it's giving you that silhouette of a human body but mm-hmm. but that the face is obscured like right. as as just as such as the identity of who has been so yeah you, you don't know exactly right it's showing you like it's basically showing you in a film noir like mm-hmm. it's a whodunit <laughs> i mean right. i mean the film well, like and it's in a lot of ways it's a it's very much a whodunit or who in, in this case not whodunit but who who imitated who is it? it? Who who got yeah? Who and, is it? Slash who got who is who has been imitated? And you made a really good point, and I'm so glad you brought this up to me before we watched it. And that was, uh, it's a western. 
Yes, the, the Western movie, quality it's a, is It's a horror high. film, but it's a Western. Um, you know, you got your sheriff, you got your good guys, you got mm-hmm. your, it's a whodunit. Like, you have your bad guy, but, like, no one knows who it is. Um, it, uh, and another little tidbit that I thought was uh, more, like, punny than it is, like, an actual, like, uh, gotcha, it's a Western. Uh, the Arctic is a desert. Yeah, it's, it's literally it's, it's, it's wow. That's so funny. like it's yeah, still, no, you're it's right. like you're the desert right. motif of a mm-hmm. western. It yeah, just, it just flips it, just it on, on its head. Flips it on its head. It's the opposite. Yeah, you know you're yeah. absolutely right. It's but brilliant. it's still a desert. Yeah, no. So it gives you that. It gives you that same. Well, it can, the thing about the desert is, and this is what made Western so great, and this is what makes the Arctic and the thing so great, is that isolation. Um, yeah, exactly. Isolation. There's nowhere to go. Like you can't go. You won't. You, you won't can't survive. survive you can't survive going to and fro. Mm-hmm. Um. And you have an intruder. You have an intruder. So you have someone like, comes into town. Uh, initially, into town. Yep, you exactly. could you could do you could do a one to one. Um, and I would almost love to see this. Like if you did like the thing in like an actual like Western, like an old timey style. You have uh, foreigners coming in speaking a different language. They don't know exactly what's like you know going on, but they're like, oh, it's like El Chupacabra. Like that thing was eating our goats. Like we need to kill that thing. Uh, they right. you know ring something by the sheriff comes in town. He's like, oh, what are these you know guys doing around here? Bing, bing, bang, shoots mm-hmm. them down, and uh, you know instead of being frozen, it was just dehydrated. You know, or something. Yeah, no, there's really, there's really something special about that, and um, we can dive into, we'll dive into a little bit more of the, uh, because I'm curious, you've actually been a little bit more familiar with the, uh, the adaptation of the, of the novel, and I'm, I'm curious to know a couple of details in relation to how that transferred to the, uh, the big screen. But um, before we do that, let's dive into the director. So I want to talk a little bit about um, the, the director of the film, John Carpenter. Okay, so lot to say about this guy i mean this guy is a legend of course of basically just just film in general um side note um little little tidbit he is born he was born in carthage new york um which is really cool uh carthage new york for listeners from abroad who are not um, who are not familiar with with us and where we're from but carthage new york is actually little village about 15 minutes outside of our hometown in Watertown, New York, which is very close to the Canadian border. Um, he was born there. That's just, that's just a side note. We didn't pick this film on behalf of that or anything, but that's, that is a cool little, uh, you know, anecdote related to his backstory. Um, but the guy just did nothing but um, pump out incredible films. Like, and he, he has his own style. He does a lot of his own music or worked with someone to make his own music. Um, the guy is, you know, basically retired. I mean, um, let's go down through his filmography, if you don't mind, Daryl. We're going to go down through it real quick. Mm-hmm. And you, um, I'm going to I'm gonna list them off one by one. And then you tell me which one lands at the top of your list. You tell me which one's your favorite of the ones that you've seen. I, I, don't, I don't expect you to have seen them all, but give me, give me your favorite among this list. So you've got Dark Star 1974. Um, that one I haven't seen. Um, Assault on Precinct 13, which was remade, uh, I think mm-hmm. once or maybe even twice. Um, you have the original Halloween, a classic. Uh, it came out in 1978. 1980, he does The Fog. 1981, Escape from New York. 1982, The Thing, um, which we're discussing now. 83, only a year later, he does uh, the film, uh, Stephen King adaptation in a film called Christine, which is about a car that kills people, which is... Oh, yeah. Sounds a little silly, but it was great. Great film. 
84. So he's rocking three, one, two, from 1978 to 1984. He basically did a film a year, which is pretty impressive. I mean, that's that's a hell of a base. Um, 84, he does Starman. 86, he does Big Trouble in Little Chinatown. Or I'm sorry, Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, 87, Prince of Darkness, which is the sequel, as you discussed. Um, 88, he does They Live. Uh, takes a break, comes back in 92, Memoirs of an, of an Invisible Man, 94, In the Mouth of Madness, 95, does a remake of Village of the Damned, 96, does a sequel to Escape from New York and does Escape from L.A., 98, Vampires, 2001, Ghost of Mars, and then in 2010, a film called The Ward, and he hasn't done anything since, so he's basically... You know what's funny is uh, he works. He's kind of like Johnny Depp. He worked with Amber Heard and just retired right after. It's been it's been downhill ever since. Yeah, he said that's a wrap for me. Yeah. But anyway, well, so say, of that yeah. list, would would you put this at the top of that list? Is this the best I really, thing? You did? I I really would. Um, like I said, I'm not a big fan of like horror in general, and I would argue that Halloween's probably like a like a close second up there. Um, Fair. one that I would like to see would uh, be in the uh, in the mouth of madness, and that is um, um, just because I'm I'm really big into uh, uh Lovecraftian horror, uh, cosmic horror, and uh, this movie technically does hit on cosmic horror. It does tinge on it for a second. The so, thing, uh, or in the mouth of madness. Yes, the the thing. The in the mouth Ooh, of madness okay. is almost a direct like it's a Lovecraftian like horror like the like cthulhu and uh all that fun stuff uh but the thing technically becomes a cosmic horror when um when blair mentions in his memoirs or his writings that this mm-hmm. thing could have took over a million planets like right, in, yeah. you know in thousands of different galaxies and it's yeah, right he, like it just it just probably has changes his tune a little bit when he realizes the entire population the human population is uh, is at stake here doesn't he? yeah and that's yeah. that's what actually initially led me to believe that that spaceship was under duress and they were like we need to just crash land it and if they landed anywhere else but the arctic the world would have already been done a hundred thousand years ago mm-hmm. so that's why i think that it was calculated that the aliens landed in the arctic they're like we need to uh, freezing this thing is the only chance we have interesting yeah no it's a good theory and i think you're actually probably on to uh you 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 might be on to something there and i'd love to hear what uh, carpenter has to say about it um we're gonna move a little bit further into the film here um so uh, at, at this point, uh, we're kind of bouncing all over the, the plot here, but we'll, we'll, we'll stick with where we kind of mostly left off. Um, so the dogs. the dogs, right? So we the, well, not the not the dogs yet, but the uh, the dog like uh, right. their face. I think the transformation of the dog. So like yeah. that's that's a big scene. Let's talk about that scene. That scene's pretty incredible. Um, Clark brings the dog in, and he brings him into the cage, into the um, the kennel with the rest of the sled dogs. And there's a transformation scene that happens that I think is is worth talking about, where this dog basically, I mean, it's pretty hilarious, and I, it's funny. But it, it, I thought personally that when the dog initially transforms, like that, there's a clip, there's a very short wince of there's a a very small piece of transition where the, where the dog transitions into the thing and the, and the head kind of splits open in several directions, almost like a blossoming flower. And then it falls out. That dog looks like a dog. 
like I can't I can't figure out how I I almost I stopped it and rewound it and I, I didn't want to do it too many times because I it, you start to see things you don't want to see you know um you start to see it too many times and then it looks yeah. too fake right and yes. I didn't want it to I didn't want it to lose that magic but you really it the dog looks like a dog and when the and the head splits it really looks like a dog it's still especially on the first glance like it's really good special effects the the special effects um the special effects guy who is um before we move any further in that i want to make sure i give him uh the due diligence the creature effects um were done by let's see I mean, I'm sure Dean Cooney had quite a bit to do with it, but let's see if we can pull up who is responsible in the production stage of this. Um, yeah, you tell me what you think about that scene. I'll pull them up. Okay, go ahead. So um, I actually want to run it back just about 10 minutes before. Same uh, sure. same uh, tune, though, um, of the dog. Uh, it's actually it's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Um, so... I knew before that the dog was like, because they hint at it, but like, unless like you speak fluent Norwegian, like you can only like assume that the dog is like, there's something up. But even then, you don't know exactly how heinous it is. But I, I knew exactly like, you know, the terror that it was upon like the, like, not my initial viewing, but the second one where I actually sat down and watched it. And at around 15 minutes, like right before it gets put in the kennel. And I have to give that dog trainer credit and the dog best actor in the whole movie. It comes like skulking into the room, like around a door, like it sneaks in. Like, so it's very much like a dog, but not acting like a dog. And um, they do a really good job at contrasting that with the dogs in the kennel. Like the dog comes around the corner and it just kind of like barely like, almost lazily like walks through the door like trying to not like make any sound or anything oh yeah and um after like it walks underneath the table and it actually uh the dog actually uh bites um uh what's his name he bites uh bennings. clark no bennings he's Does walking he? underneath the oh table you think he bu- you think he bit him you know what yeah. you're right he bit him he goes he goes ah. and he's like get that dog in the kennel yeah he's you like, thought i just scared him See, because because I was watching it with my. Well, wife. so no, he could he could have no, because he yelped. He wouldn't have been like scared and like he it in the yeah. Uh, but here, hear me out. Okay. He says yelped. Yeah, but this is the difference, though. This is what I. This is because there's an alternative. Um, there's an alternative theory about that. Is like, did he bite him and transfer the bacteria to him, or did he brush his gunshot wound? Oh, you know what? That's what I thought. You're that's you're right. Actually, that was my you're thought. like you're likely right. I think yeah. that because here's the thing. Um, he didn't trans. He didn't. He didn't become. He didn't become the thing in that moment. He didn't become one there, of them at all. There's Not no. That. There's Not yet. There's no other instance when uh, the thing actually attacks itself too, and Bennings does get uh, assimilated. Mm-hmm. Right in the film, he does. But, um, but is that the moment? Like, is that the trans- yeah. transfer moment? Which is. To yeah, say. no, I think I think you're right. I didn't even take that into consideration yet. Dog brushes up against his leg, and he's like, "Get him in there." And then that—that's exactly the point where I was like, "Clark is mm-hmm. already assimilated at this point because he's already hanging out with the dog, petting with it." And um, wrong, you were. Yeah, but never man, gets I, that. Isn't that crazy? He never gets. Clark never gets assimilated. Yeah, and I was positive when um he lets him in. He looks at the dog and he goes, "Go on. What are you waiting for?" I was Go like, "That's on, the thing." Waiting for right. I was like, "That's the thing." Talking to itself, like, <laughs> yeah. And then 
when it starts actually freaking out and like doing all the stuff like how are you gonna get upset when it shoots like when uh max shoots the dog like he shoots him he's like my babies and then just like no there's (laughs) that's where i'm saying that where i was saying at the beginning you die after that in my eyes you get killed because i'm not dealing with an outlier if you feel so strongly yes if you feel so strongly where you're putting those dogs lives over like our actual scientists you're we don't need you we actually don't need the sled dogs that's crazy because the uh the thing needs uh, biomass so we're, we're uh i'll say it time and time again dude blair was right <laughs> blair was right <laughs> might have been. Yeah. been blair was right he was he didn't have yeah. the exact gist he was close but uh uh yeah he was he was uh he, he was almost there um, yeah. So, so the special effects guy who uh, who conducted that scene when when the when the dog actually does transition into the thing or um, kind of you know the head blossoming I call it um, his name's Rob Botton and holy mackerel this guy so let me read this to you this is quite impressive so he provided the physical makeup effects and had a small part um, he had a small part in the film as Captain Captain Blake. From there, Botton's reputation, that was in, I'm sorry, that was, uh, that was from The Thing. So his reputation grew again when he worked with Carpenter on The Thing. Botton worked on The Thing seven days a week, including late nights, for a year in five weeks straight, producing every creature effect with the exception of the transformed dog, interestingly enough, which was partially done by uh, special effects advisor Stan Winston. According to the makeup uh, I'm, I'm sorry. According to the making of doc, uh, uh, of documentary on the D, on the DVD, Botten's schedule was so punishing and his attention to detail was so precise that after filming finished, he was hospitalized with exhaustion and pneumonia. Although his work was at first criticized for being too gruesome or distracting from the film's psychological themes, it has since been credited for actually enhancing the feel of the film. In one scene in which a character's head stretches off, Bond decided to melt plastic. Little did he know that the melted plastic released explosive paint thinner, so when the director decided to put a flame under the camera lens, the entire prosthetic exploded. Oh my god. What a maniac. What a maniac. Holy shit, he could have literally killed somebody. The guy was going so crazy. And imagine, and, like, filming it, too. Like, it kind of, like, looks gruesome. You're like, all right, light it up. And then it blows up. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Put the torch to it, Blair. Well, the funny, the, the funny thing is, like, when Blair's kind of, like, doing that autopsy scene, I was, I was thinking about this when watching it. Um, you can just tell that, like, there's a sense there, um, and it's still, it's not the film's fault. It's just the aging effect of like making film in the 80s but there's definitely a sense you get from watching the film um you know 30 years 40 years later that like when they're going through like an autopsy scene like that where he's just kind of like blair i was kind of almost laughing because blair's he's like peeling he's doing an autopsy on the transformed um corpse right and he's like peeling back layers and he's pulling out he's like appears to be like uh normal internal organs liver heart he's like pulling them all out right and that's the normal that's kind of on the normal body that's slightly transformed but then there's the then there's the other autopsy where that thing is where the thing had like gotten further in the transformation stage right and the bot and the corpse is like really kind of blown out in like many different directions and he's and it almost felt because the film is and this is the only part of the film that really didn't age well for me 
is that like he's doing that autopsy and he's like peeling back layers and he's just like oh oh my god oh god and he's peeling it back and there's just you can kind of you find yourself on the set which is the last place you want to be as as a movie viewer so i i don't want to feel like you're on the set I set. maybe felt that like a little bit because it was kind of like um you like you cut it up and it's just like an egg, or it's just like a pocket where you pull out like meat. But right. I also um was jaded when I watched it because I went into it just knowing that it was I'm like this is like an uh it, it's an 80s movie like you know I'm not going to this whatever special effects are there are going to be groundbreaking. The main thing I took away from that is like what they said like as grotesque as it looked on the outside it was the same on the inside so there's no way there's no way to like tell the difference like if something you know if all it had to do was like you know split into two and then like you're done there and that's right i feel like that did a, it did a really good job portraying that because you're waiting for anything you're waiting for him to pull it out and just pull out like a bunch of green organs and just be like mm-hmm. this is a, i've never seen this before it's like no this is a just got two hearts what the heck well when they bring the first when they bring one of the first corpses in too like i was mentioning this earlier um is that when they bring it in it's like the corpse is like steaming mm-hmm. and like so like you can watch it right you can watch the film and like normally you watch a horror film or a film of that a scene from a film of that caliber and the first thought you think is when you're, you're like okay body horror this is grotesque like okay but what that what that effect does that I love that they did, and I thought this was really smart, is to make sure that 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 corpse was steaming or emitting some kind of like mist. It made the it made the corpse itself look like it smelled bad, like it smelled oh, like yeah. you, you got the wretch from it, like that was. And the that is um, the uh, for the book. Uh, that is one of the main uh, main topics. I didn't like actually go through like the whole thing, but the beginning starts with them talking about like just the putrid smell of like people, and then I imagine they oh, just right. get into like, the, this. I imagine they just get into like the putrid like otherworldly smell. Mm-hmm. Like it sure. be. But I didn't. Uh, if I'm being honest, uh, I I didn't look into the book as much as I should have. Yeah, well, the book I'm is sorry. you know the book is the book is what it is, and we you know we're not doing a podcast on the book, so it's okay. Um, I didn't get into it. You know, maybe one day. Um, so the music. What did you think about the score? Like, did you like the score? Did you think it was um, a little over the top? It's definitely a little synthy. Um, I didn't. The play sounds like an eighty score. Yeah, I didn't think it was over the top. It reminded me of a lot of. Um, uh, like uh, the Stanley Kubrick, uh, like synthy kind of. Uh, I can't think of the artist at the moment, and I actually should do them justice. Uh, but uh, yeah, I really did like the score. I didn't think it was uh, like really like overbearing at any moment. Um, and the kind of the synthiness, uh, it while it kind of uh, like while it while it kind of like um it almost doesn't fit with like the Arctic vibe. You know what I mean? I feel like it does fit with like the scientific kind of like sci-fi, like, uh, like motif that it has. Yeah. Especially that end. Yeah. Especially the way that like, well, I will say this, that the time period it works. And also the, so the, the composer who, or the, whatever 
the orchestrator, conductor, however, whatever works for the title. I believe composer is probably the right term. Uh, Ennio Morricone is a, I mean, the guy, well, this just plays into the old, uh, you know, the Western aspect because he's the, he's known for a lot of his, he's Italian uh, composer who he's done films such as, um, you know, he's done Once Upon a Time in America. He's done The Untouchables. He did Bugsy. He did Fistful of Dollars. Um, so he's worked on some Sergio Leone films and some like old Western. So you kind of get that. He kind of, he like modernized his original sound a little bit in this one. And I mean, he's, he, the guy has done some great work, um, which is very clear in, in, in this film. And I like what he did. You know, the overall score is, it is what it is. It's not, it does, it does the job. It's, it's great. It, it's, I got nothing bad to say about it. It's great. But what I really, really liked was the, the heartbeat, um, like the dun duns. It's, it, it's on par with Jaws as far as I'm concerned. It really is effective. When you hear it, you're like, holy shit, that's the thing. Um, and that, he, he nailed that. He really, he really like blew that out of the park. Um, and it, and it is unique, somehow unique, only be, but not because of the, score itself but because of the instrumentation of which he composed it like it has to sound that way specifically and and you can tell he kind of uh like ran with that even with like the halloween movies with the yeah he didn't actually score those though that's the difference is he worked with um so i i i I believe the and this is going to be conjecture but i'll I'll say it anyway just because I'm, i'm you know, spewing this second hand, but I believe that Carpenter, so Carpenter actually made the music in Halloween, the original Halloween, right? Like he actually, because you got to remember Halloween 1978, one of his first films, I think it was his third total film ever, um, pretty low budget. And you can kind of tell, um, probably didn't have the kind of money to throw at a guy like Ennio Morricone. Um, so he made it himself. He made the music himself. So he worked with Morricone in this, uh, in developing the score for this, obviously. And you can definitely hear Halloween in there. Oh, yeah, the wing. Mm-hmm. And the freaking, and the dun dun dun. dun. Yep. <laughs> like, that shit, that works beautifully. Um, so uh, we're going to bounce ahead into the, uh, we're not going to move through the plot too much. Um, we're, there's a couple of, interesting points we want to get to um number one we talked about kurt russell a bit what about some of the supporting guys what do you what do you think about some of those guys i've got a couple of favorites you've mentioned blair a few times i think you like blair a lot go ahead and uh dive into uh is there anybody else you found super interesting who 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 did you uh find yourself rooting for and hoping was not the thing uh uh, since the beginning probably nalls easy to like nalls Yes, and then um, of course uh, uh, Fuchs. Uh, he was he made it very clear every time he was present that he was trying to help in every single way. There wasn't one time where I was like Fuchs's suspect. Interesting. You know I mean? Yeah, I, I kind of felt the same. What about what about uh, Childs? Were you were you suspecting of Childs? Because Childs does a yeah, pretty good job of like they... a, I was pretty convinced it wasn't Childs the whole time. I I was um I thought he was uh, definitely a suspect to be the thing, but his his character motif, if you like, upon rewatching, he doesn't change. He's always standoffish. Mm-hmm. That's that's not a good characteristic characteristic to have in when you know hard to develop trust would, that way. Yeah, exactly. In the house of horrors in the Antarctic. Mm-hmm. Um, Palmer, the only time I became 
um, the only time I became suspicious of Palmer is when he stopped smoking. Ooh, that's a good, interesting little. He uh, stopped smoking. Yep, he's. Mm, of course, he's. Smoking I wouldn't have noticed that. Every single time you see him, in the first couple times he's smoking, then he's hanging out, I believe, with Nalls, uh in the bunk, and he's like already seen this episode of a, uh, you know, uh, right? Uh, he swaps out the tape. Three. Yeah. Yep, and then he passes him the J. Mm-hmm. After that, I don't think Never he's again. even smoking, man. <laughs> wow, that's a really good. That's a really interesting. Yeah, that's a really yeah, yeah that's a really good uh, detail. I don't think I would have caught that. That's Dude, but the I'll thing is, look out for that in the next viewing. Oh yeah, but the thing is, he's um. Per, um, he would be a good example of like a perfect replication. I didn't notice anything different about him. I thought he was. I was like, I thought he was going to be one of the one one of the people being like, yo, like you know, get me out of this. Like, what the? Why are you tying me up? Interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, let's let's. That's a perfect perfect segue. So I want to talk about. Um, I want to talk about our favorite scenes in the film for sure. And obviously, there's two that come to mind for me. Um, number one is the. Um, so Norris has the heart attack, right? And there's the defibrillator scene. Now, the defibrillator scene is probably... Uh, it's hard to say it's my favorite because I, I really do like the... Uh, I like the the testing scene. Blood test scene is obviously incredible. But the defibrillator scene is unbelievable. When that stomach opens up... And, and you know, a lot of people will be... At, they get a little bit out of shape about it because it is very similar to... Um, uh, alien from 1980 um, Ridley Scott's Alien um, but you know what I don't even care it's it's done so well dude his stomach turns into fucking teeth and just chomp those fucking arms off it blows your mind because you don't it, it truly is a jump scare and it might be the first jump scare in the film no I don't think so you don't think so what's the first one when, do, when, when, when did I miss because you might be right I mean, no, but... Brad, I'll, t- I'll tell you for the time uh, the barn scene is definitely a jump scare. When you go from just dog to like writhing, yeah, that's that pretty good. Yeah, just that's out true. of nowhere. Also, that's um, true. I think there's a scene where, uh... oh wait, so I think there's one with yeah, there's one yeah, there's one with Fuchs, and then someone walks by his, uh... they walk by his den or they walk by his room, and it's like wing, and he's like. Ugh. Oh, you know what? You're right. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Well, the thing about it is, well, with jump scares, it's like jump scares are they're they're cheap thrills, and you're gonna get them in, in a film. Yeah, know? but see that? Yeah, that was not a cheap thrill. That like was uh, that was that is nowhere well and super tasteful an impact. Right. And you know what I love about so like there's that scene in between the two, uh, you know, big scenes in the film, the blood testing and the defibrillator scene. Between the two, you notice while watching them what makes them so fucking unique they make them it, it's a very important point in terms of like the development of a film like this one of the biggest things you can point out in those scenes that is different from other horror movies there's no music whatsoever it's just the howling of the wind it's the howling of the arctic wind outside of the walls right like that's that's the build that's what's actually contributing to like the tension building in the in each scene now that that has not been done since and it's i mean if, i'm sure it has to some degree but I, I just mean i don't think it's ever been done as effectively since they kind of do it in hateful eight but would you believe that uh the same person 
did the score. Um, Ennio Marcone, yeah, he did. Yeah, yep, that's they, right. Exactly. That's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah that's a really good point. Yeah. yeah, so he was like, no, nah. he's like, you don't need me here. <laughs> he's like, yeah. yeah, can we hire you to do the music? He's like, yeah, you're going to love this. <laughs> just <went into laughs> it. You know what? That actually is not bad. Like, I knew it would work. You know what I mean? He just sits down for like, he sits down in front of a piano and he's and they're just like, "Are you gonna play?" And he just goes, "Can you crack that door just a little bit?" <laughs> Can you crack that door? So gonna, first thing, first thing you're gonna want to do is you're gonna want to place that that oak cherry door with a screen door. And he's just gonna say, "Are you gonna play the piano?" He's like, "No, just give me a moment." He's like, "And scene." <laughs> no, I mean if it's not broke, don't fix it. And that's the thing yeah. too. Um, when you think about it, like uh, the wind for the background, like it's howling. Like it is a uh, when you think about like howling personified or like howling, like it's a it's a scary thing. And also like mm-hmm. uh, the wind itself is just a you hear it in the background. Oh, it's... it's a constant reminder of what do you do when that thing opens up its chest and then like just eats the arms off someone? You don't run outside because it's negative. Not in that weather. Right. Because that's death too, right? It's the least hospitable place in the world. So that's going to lead us. Let's, let's, let's take that. Cause that's perfect. Um, we're going to take that right into like, so you get your face off with the, at the end. Um, and what do you think about this? Because it is a different setting. So, you know, things are getting torched up. And, and obviously the the facility is now in like, it's in ruins, right? So it's, it's we're really like, it's, it's, a, it's a mess. And, and it's, I, you know, the thing about it that I love is that it becomes a very gritty film towards the end. So when Mac is getting ready to, you know, f- people are dropping like flies at this point. Uh, he, we've done the blood test scene, which we didn't really talk too much about, but I'd like to talk more about the blood test scene a little bit before we actually move on. So before I, before I even get ahead of myself, let's talk about that blood test scene because have you ever seen anything like that? Um, and did you actually think it was Palmer? No, he was the one person I, I mean, other, like I, I did believe uh, uh, Nalls was good to go. Or I mean, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I I believe nozzles did go, and I also believe that. Uh, um, honestly, man, Palmer, I really did think Palmer was good to go. I thought the sheriff was definitely suspect. I thought the sheriff. I thought it was the sheriff too. I think at that I point thought he, you gotta assume it was the sheriff. I mean, I thought he sabotaged the blood packs, and I watched it. I watched it again, and I tried to come up with who sabotaged the blood packs. I think it was the dog. You think so? I think it was the dog. Interesting. The only other person it could have been was Palmer, but he didn't have access to the keys. But also being real, you don't need keys to slip a, like, you know, a tendril into past a seal. You know what I mean? Like they Mm -hmm. didn't need the keys. All it needed to do was like poke something in there. And uh, I think they got hung up on the keys and the two people that like had them, but both people in possession, uh, both Dr. Cooper and uh, uh, Gary, the sheriff, right. they were both innocent. So yeah, was, they were. Yeah, it's it true. was legitimately something else. I mean, something Matt else. did have some keys at some point uh, when he when he went to or he went to go. Uh, but you know, it's on. not Mac. Yeah, because he was you just too. Sometimes, yeah, because he te- he did the blood test, right? He went to go check on Bennings, and he did drop a set of keys. So it maybe no, it couldn't have been Bennings because Bennings walked outside to fucking scream and die. 
That's right. <laughs> that's all he did, which was sure. horrifying as well. Let's be real. That's I would almost consider that a jump scare. Not even that jump scare because it was like, bing. But like, it's just you see him like crawling out or like waddling, and you're like, oh, what's wrong with him? He just looks over. His hands are just gruesome and just like they're just huge. Which also, I like that about the thing. Like, it doesn't the amount of mass that it has in the creature is like always like more than it. You know what I mean? Which is kind of scary. Like, that thing's dense. Like, if you Mm -hmm. see a person that's the thing, like, he probably weighs 300 pounds. That'd be a good way to check. I'd be like, all right, try to pick him up. Like, you know, you kind (laughs) of thick. Yeah, yeah. 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 (laughs) Second you touch him. Yeah, Mac becomes Mac from, he becomes Randall McCready, or Randall McMurphy from from, uh, One Flow Over the Cuckoo's Nest trying to pick up the fucking fountain. He's just (laughs) trying to pick up a stone fountain. (laughs) What's going on? which is one of the funny i don't know if you've ever seen that film but it's literally it might be one of the funniest uh scenes in any film is when jack nicholson's trying to pick up a stone fountain out of uh (laughs) he goes to try to pick it up because he's gonna smash it through a window and escape in a sanders island um anyway it's a secondary thought but uh great film also by the way um all right, let's move into the uh, let's move to the ending. So we'll we'll get through the ending and then uh, um, we'll, we'll we'll start uh, wrapping up. But um, so at the end of the film, um, at this point, uh, everybody's dropping like flies. People are people are dying. Um, the the camp is is in ruins. They've got Blair and he's basically in isolation because they think he's basically lost his shit. But he actually might be right. Um, <laughs> so after the blood test scene. Um, I, I thank you for saying that because I do have a small tangent about Blair. Mm, um, let's hear if it. You, if you'd like to Blair yeah, with it. me. Oh, can do. So at about a, at around like a, the 43 minute mark, uh, Blair, like right before he snaps, like, and here's the thing. He's a, uh, he, he's getting all this information and he's talking to his, uh, his, have you seen courage? The cowardly dog? Oh, of course. That's it's his computer. It has to be because he just oh types in something, and then it's just like probability of overall infection. Oh my god, like it's you, the same thing. Yeah, yeah no, it's like yeah, probability right. of uh, two or people, <laughs> two or more people infected, seventy five percent, and then it's like uh, um, if it escapes uh, to uh, the main or a main continent, then a one hundred percent infection rate within like a uh, twenty seven thousand so, yeah. hours. Right, and like he just types hours, in like right. what's what's going on and then it's just like you twit we're all gonna die like there's probably someone here anything else yeah. you need and then he's like how long will it take you <laughs> be like it'll be three years like it's just it i don't know if that was a direct influence to courage the cowardly dog but it, it reminded me of that like computer yeah so no, you're actually probably on the on the money with that in some way yeah it has to be like a loose influence or something but right. either way it reminded me directly of that and no yeah blair's blair's likable but he does get infected that is, yeah. that is, he does but lose the, it. Yeah. And you wonder question. how long that was going that's, on. That's my question is the timeline because um, mm-hmm. here's what he I got want to. Because he was in isolation. I, You know what? But he's also the person doing the autopsies. I think he might have got to the blood bags. He was the, he was the person doing the autopsies. So I think he might have yeah, had a partial infection then. And um, he was doing it with it. He, all he had was some gloves on. He the gloves. All that's on. all right. it takes is a spurt to land on your yeah. skin, and then it can mimic your skin and then right. work from there. Yeah, but it would take longer because it's not just a direct, like, 
tendrils inside your nose kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, also, when he's running uh, the uh, uh, when he's running the uh, simulation on the computer where it's showing the cells, um, this is a uh, I would say a direct reference to the sequel in um, the Prince of Darkness, where they say that it's a uh, it's an essence of Satan is what it is. Um, right. I th- I had that inclination when I watched it the first time before I looked up the uh, the the sequel to it because the little um you have like the regular cells that are circles and then the um the virus or the thing is it's a little like devil thing it's a little like a V with horns and oh, then it go- like yeah. a um, like a uh, seance circle. Yeah. Well, like it, it's just like a little, um, a little triangle with horns on it. It just looks like a little, uh, uh, like a three or like a two bit caricature of like a basic, like little devil thing. And then, so that kind of does track that if that is a direct sequel, I don't know, um, how right. scientific they, they, yeah, but I wonder why then, I wonder then why, see, I, this is why I think it's like sometimes it's like it's almost like a half cock theory because I wonder why, why is it that fire, fire is the, um, when it should be water or holy water. Well, yeah, it should. Well, certainly it should be anything, but it just doesn't. Well, it shouldn't be fire, if anything. Do you want me to blow your mind? Oh, let's hear it, please do. So, okay, the thing was uh, able to, in, in my in my theory, was able to take over that spaceship. You know, a spacefaring species, really highly uh, intelligent. That, like, you know, they have technology beyond our comprehension. They, like, you know, they have faster than, like, technology if they can make it from a different galaxy to our galaxy. Incomprehensible stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we bested the thing with one of the first tools utilized by man. Fire. Fire. Oh, Most okay. basic yeah. thing. Sure. It was, okay. so yeah, out no, of no, no, everything no, in the galaxy that could beat it, <laughs> it's just our bread and butter. Like, you know, mm-hmm. when all when all fails, resort to a stick and a you know, in a rock, and all you need is some yeah. fire. No, I, yeah, that's a good I point. think that that is a, there has to be some kind of, like, uh, like, dichotomy there, where, uh, yeah. you know, they're shoot the fins are shooting it with guns, they have explosives, which, you know, would do the trick, because it's, like, fire, but they, like, tried to burn it down, like, and even with, like, the technology, all this stuff, like, a mm. good old-fashioned fire and brimstone is how you fire treat and everything. Brimstone. That's right. And that if it is the devil, like, you know, just give it a little taste of what it likes. Right. Just to fend it off. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move on from the blood test, because the blood test was, that scene was, um, I mean, that was shocking, and you get a lot of revelations in that, and it was amazing. It's an amazing scene, and anyone who hasn't seen the film, uh, look look very f- much forward to that last three, uh, the last um, the last quarter of the film, right? A third of it, maybe a quarter of it, is is quite, like, you're by that point, you're already in, but, like, man, you're really in for a treat. Um, so after the blood test, Childs is left on guard while the others go to test Blair, but they find that he's escaped and he's been using vehicle components to assemble a small flying saucer, which they destroy. At, at this which point, is wild. At this point, um You think Blair's a genius. <laughs> mad scientist. He finalizes his yeah. mad, mad scientist right. trope. So yeah. in the beginning, like when he like right after he he talks to uh his computer and uh then uh, he has like his kind of like before he has his breakdown, he grabs the pistol out of his desk. And if you ask me more importantly, right underneath the pistol, there's a fire safety uh, manual. Interesting. That Ooh, was more important than the pistol, man. If I was wow. Blair, I would have grabbed, grabbed that fire safety manual and used that as a checklist. 
And like, we are burning this whole thing to the ground, turning on all the oil. We are pouring all the water into every single Mm -hmm. electrical socket. We are, (laughs) no one's leaving. And that's, so his, after he grabs the gun and like does all that stuff, his spiral into madness, like we were saying, it's not unreasonable. He's seen proof, undeniable proof that this would lead to the end of the world. Right, but the uh, way to go about it is not to start fucking throwing axes at all the fucking machinery. Like that's what I didn't understand. I believe what he was worried about is uh, the thing would have utilized the technology there. He didn't want it to communicate with anything else. He didn't. He yeah. was like, we are yeah, tricky. He said no one in, no one out. He at that moment, he planned on everyone being already infected. Yeah, we're all going to die. Right. So it doesn't matter what's left here. But also, I think at that moment, he was infected or at least under infection. Partially and infected. Exactly. And while his body physically couldn't fight it. The existential crisis that it caused caused his like caused him to just lash out. He's like, I know I can't. He's like, we're beat. We're all gonna die. Doesn't matter. No one's getting out anyways. Starts chopping up everything with an axe. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and then, and then that's jumping back a little bit. So let's let's bounce back to where we were, which would be in that last you know climactic scene where. So we established that Blair is part partially. He is the thing. Uh, he is one of the things, and he kills Gary. Right, um, and Nulls Nulls kind of disappears there in that scene, and uh, this is where a, Mac um, is. I'm sorry, there's there's a cut scene, or that scene was cut. Nulls was supposed to uh, on camera die there, and it is hmm. implied that he does. So yeah, kind of. Nulls does get to him. he he, he disappears. Out. But either way, either way, you assume that he doesn't make it because the following scene is obviously our like what another great scene when Mac says, "Yeah, well, fuck you too," and then just blows the place sky high, <laughs> which is, I mean, that's just fucking great. Could could you ask for anything more out of a film? I mean, it literally gives you it gives you psychological intelligent storytelling, right? Like thrilling and 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 smart. Uh, storytelling and then it also gives you that fucking like action movie brilliance of like a big old f you you know stick stick this dynamite where the sun don't shine and, and he just right. blows the place sky high brilliant 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 love that scene that scene i mean that if if you're not like jacked to the nines when you hear him say that um you're not paying attention to the film because it's it's <laughs> that good it's that good um so let's get to the end let's 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 circle to the end the end of the film um Childs returns, um, and as McCready's sitting by the burning remnants, saying uh, he got lost in the storm while pursuing Blair. I don't know how you feel about that, but I'm like, that sounds like some bullshit to me, bro. And, and <laughs> I'll tell you why. Right I'll up, tell you like why bullshit. I do believe it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, we establish uh, early in the movie that when the thing transforms, it tears out of its clothes. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, they find like the first instance of uh, of of Max clothes, and that is, uh, I believe, something that we kind of skipped by. That I just wanted to uh, hint at. Oh, Fuchs. the shredded shredded uh, jacket. When Fuchs is found dead due to the uh, the flare, I believe he killed himself when he he believed that Mac was actually the th- a thing. And he was like, if the most competent person here who is assisting me is the thing, all hope is lost. I think Fuchs just burned himself once he found uh, McCready's uh, the setup for him, once whoever set him up. You know, that's a really interesting theory, and I think I actually got a whiff of that myself, but I didn't didn't follow that. I didn't follow that thought all the way down, but I think you might be right. So 
with with him burning self or with him burning himself because he found out that uh the clothes were uh, were like tattered and he tore out from them if you look at childs at the end of the film before when he has like the flamethrower when he's guarding everything and like before he goes out he has a he has a blue blue coat and i don't know if it's just obscured due to the snow or it being white but i believe it's like a like a different coat mm, okay so could be yeah that makes sense that's a that's a thought that's a theory that i could uh, i could definitely endorse that and the, the, the potentiality thing, but this is what thing. carpenter wanted though is that he doesn't want you to he wants it to be somewhat you know ambiguous the the last thing that would tilt it in the favor as far as i'm concerned to um uh, child's is 100% like uh, compromised and assimilated is uh, they make it prevalent at least to uh, the group uh, uh, Fuchs does and uh, Blair knew this the whole time too he was like uh, it can be spread through like saliva we should all prepare our own food and use cans right that's right he does make that suggestion true at the end Mac hands him the bottle and then mm-hmm. Fuchs just doesn't care He's like, I'll just take it, like just. Oh, like, this is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes him a little suspicious, right? Right. If he doesn't, if he doesn't care, he's either one just actually over it, which is really relatively reasonable because even Max, like, if whatever, if I'm the thing or if you're the thing, no one, we're not gonna be able to fight each other. Like we're right. Like you won. He's like, if we didn't win, then you won. Like good job. Right. And then he hands the thing, but with him, yeah, with him not caring, it just goes to show, like, oh, like you really don't. You you aren't worried to, no matter what. So it's there's like, one it, there's an important. Um, I guess you know what I'll save this. I'll save this for the uh, when we get to the. Don't don't let me forget. I have something I want to add to our influences uh, or the influence section of the uh, of the podcast here. Um, but let's 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 close it out. Let's close out the plot here. So um, what do you think about what do you what do you think about that ending? Um, obviously obviously the goal of the ending is very simple. It is to leave you wondering which of the two. Um, which of the two is, is, you know, is infected is the thing. Could be neither. And yeah, I mean, obviously they're just going to wait around and find out, but, uh, I don't know. I, I, I personally think neither, but I tell you what, but I, I'd say child is way more suspicious than Mac. I mean, you know, Mac is good though. Kind of right. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. There's no time where he's like outside of the frame and he like, you know, acts outside of his character, but the same thing goes for child, but he's always been suspect. If you think about how he looks, like I love the look, the flare lit look of uh, Mac with like when his beard is like frozen with the snow. Yeah. Yeah. He looks great. Snow kissed. Yeah. Yeah. He looks, I mean, he, well, he looks like a man who just crawled out of like, a homeless shelter. Dude, he looks like fucking... Jack um, when he first comes in after he gets the line cut from um, uh, from The Shining. Oh, yeah, kind of. When yeah, he first comes bit, in, right? he's just like dead. Yeah, he really <laughs> except, looks awful. It's, except for having an axe, he has a flamethrower yeah. and a stick of dynamite. And he's like, I'm sick of this. I'm about to blow everyone up. <laughs> it's true. It's um, true. But I would say were, that. I would say that the most hor- one of the most horrifying scenes we didn't discuss yet, and I want to throw this out there while we're kind of tor- we're in that realm of like the third quarter of the film, and uh, you know uh, I want to say this to our listeners: um, we have been. Um, I would don't expect this from us each time. We're gonna we're work- we're we're truly working on our on our chronology because I think we're we're doing the best we can to try to stay chronological. But it is it is it's tough to do to stay 
you know, in, in sequence with the film. We're, we've got a lot to discuss about it. And we, uh, we've already discussed we'll probably be willing to do a rebroadcast. Um, this is a very much a trial run for us. Was our you know, first episode. But um, so I hate I, I apologize for the bouncing around. But I really want to go back to this scene because I think it's really worth talking about for just a quick second. The scene, uh, I believe it's uh, Fuchs, right? Fuchs is the... Um, is the one who uh, is the character in, in, who's infected that um, he transforms in front of them, right? With the hands. Uh, no, no, that's that's uh, not Fuchs. I'm sorry. No, who's Fuchs, Fuchs uh, is a uh, scientist. Fuchs, uh, the guy with the hands that would be Bennings. Bennings, Bennings. I'm sorry, you're right. Bennings. I I, I mix them up. That's correct. Bennings. The scene with Bennings transferring or trans transforming in front of them. When he lifts his eyebrows up and his mouth opens and he starts making the noises from the thing, that is the most horrifying scene in the film for me, by far. Because that he the acting in there is great, first of all. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable how yeah, he sells like, that. The facial it, like, expression it, it is completely empty. And it almost... So, for, like, for it being body horror, it's almost the scenes that don't do the most that are the scariest. Just like True. that, where he just yep. looks over, kind of like almost sad, like you mm -hmm. know, and then just screeches some ungodly like tune, like the just some inhuman, literal, like uh, literally, right? Like you know, scream. Mm -hmm. And um, like I was saying, I think the most horrifying thing is early in the movie, right before the kennel scene, when that dog just slinks in the door, and it's just the dog. Yeah, and he's kind of That's, pounce. He's kind of he's got. He looks. He's in like a pounce position. His hands yeah, are he's just, just yeah, like he's kinda, arms are down. And then, like on a rewatch, you know that it is malicious. And um, right. uh, I think one thing I might have like touched on, but like in the kennel scene, like I or oh, I didn't say this. So the thing's highly advanced. That thing learned uh Norwegian. Like that's what happened. Like it was the, <laughs> yeah, the same thing awesome, happened right? there. Killed everyone. If I'm correct with the spaceship, it learned alien, and then like you know, and so uh, while like a uh, Germanic or, or sorry, while English and Norwegian are both Germanic, they both have different uh, like uh, different influences, such as like Old Norse, I believe, is uh, for like Norwegian, and uh, English has an influence from pretty much everything. A bunch of like romantic stuff, though, mainly. So. This this thing learned two different complex languages, three because of the dog, um, two different like complex languages in um, a matter of like forty eight hours. So when it went to the kennel, all the other dogs are laying down. Clark's weird ass. He's like, "What are you What are you waiting for?" So the dog goes in, looks around, lays down. It's uncanny because it's not laying down like everything else, but it's like I'm good to go, right? And then he's like, "You know what? What am I waiting for?" Then does the transformation. Yeah, and, and then takes out all. Uh, take, uh, takes out as many dogs in the kennel as possible. Right. Right. Yeah. And no. Also, I mean, the thing it's a hive mind is what uh, Blair says. He goes. He was trying to assimilate the dogs. This pack of dogs. It's a yeah. He wasn't mind. trying to assimilate one dog. He and he actually got into. He it got so far into the process that he actually did assimilate several. You know. So. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, let's let's wrap it up. Let's let's wrap up our, our ending here. Um, we're going to talk about the conclusion, the conclusion of the film, the uh, the final scene. And, and the best part about this film is that you really only do have to talk about the final scene and those final that final interaction between Childs and Mac, and their uh, their interaction regarding you know 
one of them, they don't trust each other, but they're going to, he hands him, I, I, I don't know what your theories are. Um, I'm sure you've got a couple, but like he hands him the bottle, right? So this is my, this is my personal theory. He hands him the bottle of the, the whiskey he'd been drinking all night or the scotch, the scotch whiskey, right? There's a look on Mac's face when Childs sips the whiskey of relief. If you rewatch the scene, it appears to me that Mac is relieved when he well, sees yeah, he Childs. Starts, he starts laughing too. Yeah, there's a small chuckle and okay, a small so expression of relief. So what here, is that? What is where, that from? No, here here's where I'll actually um here's where I'll switch because I was like uh, all the thing leads to Childs being like pretty much suspect. Um with like the coat difference, it could have just been a wardrobe malfunction, wardrobe error kind of thing. But that's a, that's a rough mistake to have when that is a key plot point, so I, I don't know. But, um, you know, if he Max says straight up, he goes, all right, so let's say that Childs is the thing. Max says straight up, I don't think either of us would be in any shape to, uh, you know, do anything if whatever the other one has in store. He right. might have been hinting that he has a flamethrower for him, but he was saying, like, you know, if I was the thing, I would kill you. If you're the thing, you'd probably kill me. Like, so That's when, true. When he takes the uh, olive branch and then just drinks it and doesn't like start like sprouting out tendrils, that is kind of relief. And he does laugh. He does laugh about it. But I would really like to see if Mac, I would have been, uh, granted he wanted it to be up in the air, but I would have, if Mac drank it back, I would have been like, okay, he trusts him. Yeah, they're good. Right. I think um, they're good anyway, though. I think they're good if, anyway. Because I think like, you're right. Because because when he announces, when he when Max says, you know, we wouldn't be in much of a position to do anything about it. He's I think that that's that's the window for childs to to pounce if he was also yeah. the thing. He's and he's he admitting it. it. He's like realistically like I, I was just wondering if there's I can't beat you. I'm just curious if there's a if there's a if there's a detail somewhere back yes. in the scene about no. about alcohol or saliva or something that like if he when he drank the from the bottle that that relieved him of suspicion. So here's the thing: like almost uh, with a uh, Palmer's and the smoking, you don't really. I don't imagine the thing would partake in uh, you know recreational drugs. It's not something that would benefit its survival. Right. Whereas it's a very human trait to just like not care about survival per se, but also like just want to have a good time. So maybe it could be biting its time, but also if you did want any solace in the video game, you come across child's frozen remains and in the comic book child's is definitely the thing. Really? Yes. So you could take, yeah, I pretty much just take a, Take it how uh, Mr. Carpenter said, and just to your own like the the movie, the 1982 movie. Take that how you want. Which I would now that we're talking about it now, I'd like to think that if uh, if he wanted to, he would have made it very obvious that one of them was. It wouldn't have taken much to do that. It no, literally I, just a twitch. I'm glad he, but I'm glad he did it because you know what, the film is amazing. I'm it's not angry at the one guy. I'm like, <laughs> dude, he's like, oh man, I hate this. No, I'm not not exactly that critic as critical as him, but I do like a nice like ending. And uh, I mean, if we go by like comic books and stuff, it just it just nah, doesn't stop there. I, I don't mind it though. I like I like it to be open open ended because you know what the open ending is is um 
it, it makes it allows the viewer to like cherish the film a do little you, bit more. Do you want longer. me to? Do you want me to ruin it then? How it's actually not open ended. All right, let's hear it. What's your what's what's the what's the closing? Close the loop on me here. There's if you can, because no, I don't know that you can. There's no way that there's not one particle of blood like that's just around there on that base, and that's all it takes is just one. That's part of the organism. So anyone who goes to discover, oh yeah, scene, that's a plot hole. But like, I don't, I don't mind a plot hole. Like, plot well, no, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, so that the thing wins, like, 100 percent of the time. You want to uh, another thing too, without uh, being too, uh, well, like, scientifically speaking, uh, oh no, god, like, it's, you it's can a, it's do a, that all day, but that's it's so, a, it's, so it's a sci-fi movie. But one thing that uh, they're lucky that they didn't uh, entertain is the human body. We're not just us. We're not just 100% human. As a matter of fact, um, the amount with the amount of cells in our body, uh, one in ten of those, or sorry, uh, one in ten of those are uh, human cells. The other nine tenths are bacteria. Right. The thing would take over the bacteria, dude. It would just be like an airborne, like oh, it kind of oh, like yeah. you sneeze, go and then you just. <laughs> Like, yeah, it, it wouldn't have taken. Like, it wouldn't have taken. Yes, it would have been plus, like, the, plus the evolutionary technology. Like you gotta, you gotta imagine that the that that organism in whatever capacity it got here was already well evolved past the expectation of like you know human adaptation. Like yes, once it got and the fact I'm, that yeah. it got here, like I mean, so, yeah, but you can, that's so boring. Don't working. don't even exclude Blair that. I'm almost cutting that out of the podcast because it's it's really not worth it because it makes the film. Like you can't have a creative, you can't have a creative film with that. Like you have to suspend that, you know that. Like what is it? Suspension of disbelief or whatever. But it's not even that. It's like yes, but that that's what I'm saying. That's why I kind of left this for the end because that's really like my only like gripe, gripe. other than Clark. Because Clark <laughs> in the original book is one hundred percent the thing. He just is, and yeah. like they wrote him in this one, same exact plot, but they just. Yeah, but he was just looking at—he was just looking at. Yeah, exactly. He wrote him as a red herring to be like to twist things up a bit, which is which is fine. Um, that's fine. But anyway, all right. Let's let's um, all right. Let's let's go into the next the next section here. So that that's the end of the film. That's the conclusion of the film. Let's talk about aftermath. Let's talk about the aftermath of the film. Um, so um, <clears throat> film came out in 1982. Um, it was a bit of a critical flop as well as a uh, financial flop, to be honest with you. A very expensive film, too. I mean, just did not perform can, great at the bottom. At the, at you the can tell how place, expensive but. it is um, by the mm-hmm. fact that they um, or so a lot of a uh, lot of the 80s movies have this kind of uh, uh, kind of trope, too, where the beginning will just be uh, a lot of uh, special effects. And then the end, they're just like, we just have to edit something in. Like they're like, we already spent too much money. We ran out of money. Draw it in. Just draw it. Who cares? It doesn't matter. What do you mean we can't make a fifteen foot tendril coming out? This movie was kind of the opposite though, because that those opening effects of the spacecraft crashing was like a little weak, and then I felt like so the spacecraft was in general, but I think it would have been a little rough for them to make a diorama. But look at like when the thing is like as big as it gets, like when it's coming up through the floorboards, it's very much just like cartoony, and then. They go so far as to not even show it towards the end where it's just underneath and then like a tendril comes out and then like eats the like you can tell like they were like, all right, guys, like I we need to like wrap it up. Yeah. 
Yeah, so well, the film came out, and here's a couple of, I'm going to read off a couple of like little reviews that uh, that people thought about the film. Um, uh, the plot was criticized as boring and undermined by the special effects. Uh, Los Angeles Times' Linda Gross said the thing was bereft, despairing, and nihilistic, and lacking in feeling, meaning the characters' deaths did not matter. Um, like, what do you mean? Fuck, really you know what? Yeah, right. I mean, well, you don't even need that, though. You just don't need that. There are there are scientists who are basically last named. They're they're last named. They're not they're not trying to be emotional. Like that's not what the story is trying to tell you. Um, anyway, moving on. Uh, Ebert Roger Ebert considered the film to be scary, but offered nothing original beyond the special effects. Um, I mean, it did not get good reviews, but it was reassessed years later. Um, obviously, the film uh, was heavily, heavily influential. Um, it, it left a pretty amazing legacy. I mean, th this this film has a monster cult following. I mean, people love this film, and it really did. Um, it really did leave an impact, and um, it was not only was it influential on a lot of films that came after it, but it was also like it, there are some influences. Obviously we talked about alien, um, obviously is a major, one of the major, you know, clear influences, but one of the other ones, it's also somewhat clear, but there's a scene in the film. Um, the, the discover, what do you think about the discovery of the spacecraft? Um, what did you think about that scene? Because I will tell you that scene is basically a shot for shot of it's almost a shot for shot inverse of when the monolith is discovered um in 2001 a space odyssey including this score and everything the film like the, the music and everything is is almost Ooh, exact i can see it because it's like um instead of them being around like a circle well like that instead of like them like standing around in the circle like they're forced like to uh like it's it's an open area as opposed to like a pillar no, I mean inverse. I mean inverse in, in color contrast. Like in the black, it's a black monolith in two thousand one, and it's yeah. on like a it's and it's been dug up under like a a white um, like the moon. I think is what they're on in two thousand one, or they're on another planet that's where the surface is like light colored. But they find the black monolith um, and they and they uncover it. Whereas like this is the opposite. They found like a spaceship that's buried beneath ice and like it's been uncovered and the contrast is very bright. It's, and they're not in space, obviously. They're on Earth. <laughs> but it was um I thought that scene was great. That was great influence. Um, um I thought that and, and obviously the film the film didn't win any awards, um, which is you know, it's yeah, a I, thought it got, I thought it got I thought I got best uh <laughs> Best horror of um, I think I think I got an award. Hold on. Let me see. Yeah, maybe it did. Maybe you might be right. You could be you could be correct on that. Let me take a look. You might. You know, we'll, we'll see. They did. Oh, you know, and it won. It got a couple nominations from the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films for Best Horror Film and Special Effects, but it did not win because Poltergeist and ET came out that year. So, oh, yeah. um, and it also was nominated for Razzies, which is that's not cool. Worst musical score. What the? F are really? Well, what? when we. Let's be real. I can't, like I can't it, get behind that. If you're gonna like listen to like a music score though, like outside of the movie, bum, I can bum. see where they're coming from. Bum bum. Now I love it. <laughs> I think it's great. I've listened to it many times. Like in the last like couple weeks, it's it's fantastic. They're outside really of the movie, the score. 
Yeah, I just listened to it just to get in the zone of the film, just to try to picture the film, how I want to talk about the film. And yeah, no, I think it's great. I think it's it's not like it's an enjoyable, like, I don't think I'll be popping it on anytime soon, you know, just as a, as a you know, a laugh, but it was good. I think it's good. I think it's, and it's especially effective to make the film spooky and creepy and accomplish the things that the film's trying to accomplish. But um anyway so uh no true we had the true sequel in prince of prince of darkness right um which i cannot believe that that is like that that is the only film named prince of darkness i would have assumed that there would be like 50 prince of darknesses but they got the ip um, yeah i guess they got it so um he did make that there was a tv film there's obviously a, a video game i did also play the game uh back on playstation 2 um that's based after right it's based after yeah it's yeah. not exact it, it, it's okay it was actually a pretty good game i liked it um uh, at the time but did you did you watch the uh 2011 version uh no i did not i heard there was a prequel slash sequel and i'm not interested in that i just don't care so i have to watch it just because i accidentally bought that one <laughs> first <laughs> I looked at it, I was like, oh, I was like, oh, no I way is your game. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just watch it after. Yeah, no, that, honestly, you, you are, you're, you're obligated to your wallet to do that, because you yeah. really did, uh, yeah. Well, um, I did really like this one, so. You know, it actually doesn't get the worst reviews, it's not like it's the worst remake slash prequel slash sequel slash whatever the fuck they try to do with this thing, um. Review wise, it was. I mean, it wasn't good, but it wasn't you know, terrible either. But I wish they hadn't even touched it. I mean, it's such a. It's the original is such a masterpiece. Um, yeah, really. I was gonna say films. it didn't. I I don't. It it aged well. I mean, even with like um how like the effects have like yeah. kind of shifted into like crazy special effects now, where everything's just CGI. I think it's uh still scary. It's still uh when I had to go through and like rewatch some scenes, I was like, man, I don't want to watch this dog change again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah no it puts you on the edge of your seat no it's wonderful it's yeah. a wonderful film in that way um it's it's a great film it's got a, a, you know the cinematography we talked about the uh cinematographer uh dean cooney who's done a ton of work with john carpenter he, he's a master he made the film look unbelievable and unique it doesn't look like any other film it really just doesn't um it's a it's a it's a masterpiece as far as i'm concerned especially for the category of film that it is um the writers uh bill Ca- uh bill lancaster is the writer we didn't talk about the writer we should have talked a little bit about him because he is the son of burt lancaster who was a very famous actor and unfortunately bill um passed away um somewhat young 49 years old in 1997 but uh, wrote a great screenplay. I mean, really good screenplay. I, th- I think the screenplay is very good. And it, it, it's, you know, it's obviously a little thin. It's not even that it's thin. It's more so, I don't mean that insultingly. I just mean that it's, it doesn't need it as much because it doesn't need to have um, thick plot. There's there's moments that are very important and where it's written, it's written well, especially with some of the um, unsuspecting turns um, in terms of who's who and what's what. Um so I, I overthought overall we didn't touch that, but I wanted to circle back to that quickly and just give a just give some homage to the uh, to the writing. I thought the writing was really good, um, but uh, it was also um, you know it was the first film that we wanted to talk about. Um, 
because it's just such a great movie. I mean, it really is. And if you haven't seen it and we've just spoiled everything for you, you could still go back and watch it and still enjoy it. There's, there's, there's one scene after another, after another, that is tension building. It grabs your attention from the word go. Um, you're never out. You're never bored. You never want to look at your phone. It just does exactly yeah, what you're looking for it to do. That really, it really did a good job at like grasping my attention. And like, mm-hmm. um, even like the name itself, the thing right so so ambiguous exactly like when you a lot of other scary movies it's uh, the scary thing is the scary thing like it's mm-hmm. dracula it's the boogeyman it's a it's a physical that is the enemy we need to fight that the thing it, it could be anything it could right. be and then mm-hmm. it's in the beginning the norwegian guy is like it's in it's imitating a dog he's like yeah right we didn't talk about that him. yeah we forgot to talk about that because we talked about it off off offline yeah um, yeah the, the translation of the of the norwegian um rifleman is, is is shouting at them it's not a dog it's not a dog it's imi- it's only imitating a dog and i think that harkens to like a really good point about the film that is like that makes the film so you know effective which is that you know fear is found um in that of which is unknown right like oh yeah that's always that's where it starts it always starts right where what with what you can't see is what is where the fear is what you don't know and what you can't see the unknown is is what harbors all you know all of fear and the thing about the thing about the thing sorry to be you know that guy (laughs) the thing about the thing is is that because he because carpenter just does not give you exactly what you're looking for he doesn't spoon feed you what you want to to you know if you are if you are a casual movie viewer who wants to know exactly what's going on and wants to check your twitter scroll in the middle of watching a film like if you're gonna half pay attention you're not gonna know what's going on in this film you and you'll still be entertained like that's the beauty of the film you'll still enjoy it which makes it special once you hear that roar go, you'll peep up from what you're it's doing. True. I promise. It's true. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna uh, we're gonna kind of take a we we we've capped off the film. Um, we're gonna take a quick thirty second break. Uh, when we come back, we're gonna do a summarization of our opinion, and then uh, old Errol and I are gonna give the old rating, one out of ten. We're gonna see where we both land on this film. It'll be our first rating, um, on our first podcast. Um, we'll be back in about thirty seconds, so just hang tight. We'll talk to you folks in just a few. Okay, we're back from the break. We're back from the break. Um, wrapped up the film, The Thing, 1982, John Carpenter's The Thing. Amazing film. Glad to talk about it. We were we were extremely excited to talk about this one. Um, Errol, do you want to kick us off with your summarization? Give, give us a summary of what, what you think of the film, what it means to you. Are you going to come back to it? Is it something you want to watch again? Would you recommend it to your 
your your best friend, your your worst friend, where are you at on the film? I I think I will come back to it. I almost um I'm gonna definitely put it in the rotation. Uh, as far I'm I'm a sucker for like old kind of like uh, almost campy movies now, even though uh, at that point it wasn't. But uh, I really like I said I don't like horror films, but uh, this one it's it's gonna hold a uh, it's gonna hold a nice place a uh, sentimental a sentimental place in my heart. Not only because of uh, the podcast here. But uh, it's just a really nice movie, and I know that uh, due to, like, there's not a lot of other movies, at least that I can think of, that really portrayed, like, an existential, like, horror as well as it did, especially at its time. So I have to give it its kudos. Yeah, it's an amazing film. It's one of those films that's going to be, it's not going away. It's going to be around. It's going to be, it's going to constantly pop up in those, like, top ten horror film lists that always pop out from, you know, every publication across the sun. Um, I think it's a, I truly think it's one of those um, masterpieces. It's, it's, um, I know we've been kind of just blowing a lot of smoke up this film's butt. I mean, I don't know what else to say about it other than that. I, I, I love it. Um, I loved it the first time I saw it. Um, it has an effect on me, and I think it, I think this kind of happens to most people with the film is that they watch it, love it, and then kind of forget about it. And I'm going to try really hard not to forget about it. I'd like to revisit it, um, you know, like once a year or so, just to remind myself how great it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it really it's enthralling. Um, it, it grabs your attention. It's not. It's never boring. There's never a there, moment. So there's there's a scene that I feel like perfectly like encompasses that, like it's never boring and kind of like the vibe of it. Um, in the beginning when, uh, right before like the dog scene, uh, Mac, uh, he hears the dogs barking and something going down and he pulls the fire alarm immediately, immediately breaks the fire alarm open. And yes. And, and then what does right. he do right after that? So he grabs a shotgun. Mac, he grabs a shotgun and then someone goes, Mac wants the flamethrower. <laughs> this man yeah. pulls the fire alarm. Then he's like, someone yeah. get me a flamethrower. Like pulls the yeah. fire alarm. He's like, I need some right. fire right now. He's like, we're going <laughs> to, but yeah, but like, and whatever, we won't continue in our synopsis, but you know, the reason he did that is because he got back from the Norwegian camp and he knows like something's yeah. fucking fucky here. And this is, seems to be the solution. So, right. Um, but I just, I just love the irony in that. Like, Oh, fire. Like, no, I am the fire. Like we need to all be ready. Like we need to bring the pain. Yeah, and he brought the pain. He brought the pain. So, all right, let's um, so let's do it. Let's do our rating. Um, let's rate the film. Um, Arrow, I'm gonna let you uh, unpack your 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 rating of the film. Remember, we're we're gonna do this uh, across all of our um, specific content. We probably won't be <laughs> if we do a biography. We're not gonna yeah. rate the people we're talking well, about. Yeah, so. that's exactly. Um, um, the rankings that- will be the rankings. The rankings and ratings will be. Um, we're going to try to coordinate them um, so, as we do um, films. Yeah, like like our ranking episodes will probably be a better gist of like what we think is like a better like out of like one to ten when it comes to like specific like things. Um, the ratings for um, at the end of the podcast is just going to be for like how we felt about like the film in general or like the right. uh, the topic kind of uh, um, how much it like uh, piqued our interest and in, like how much it tickled our fancy personally. Right. I mean, listen, we do a rating. You do a rating. It's for you. It's not for. It's your rating. It's how you feel about the film. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks about the film. And we're gonna we'll be downloading our 
our uh, downloading is the wrong word, but we'll be um, updating our website and our Twitter page with the rating of the film. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll put that along with our posts. Um, so that way, every time we do a film podcast um, or an album podcast, or uh, I mean, that's pretty much going to be it. Just those two things will be our two ratings. And we'll have a leaderboard. I think that's what we should do. We'll have a little page somewhere um, not to steal the, uh, I hate to be, um, you know, pr- uh, I hate to be plagiarists of the, um, all the right movies podcast, but they have a, they have a nice leaderboard system for films. I think we'll implement something similar for our website. Um, and, but we will also include albums as we move along. Um, this is going to be across the course of time and this is our opinion folks. So, so don't get too upset about, you know, if, if you, if you think we overscored something or underscored something, this is just our opinion. Um, so Errol, why don't you kick us off? What, what, what do you rate the thing? 1982 John Carpenter out of 10. I'm going to give it a strong eight. And um, I'll further explain why uh, this movie was close to being perfect for me. I feel like if I watched it when I was younger, I might give it a higher rating, such as like a nine, but I don't feel like I'd ever be able to give it a a 10. And that's just because of um, I'm a little bit of a stickler. There's only a couple like inconsistencies in the movie that I feel like really shouldn't be there. And especially for, um, for something of like that scale when uh when you're dealing with like a psychological horror or like something like that where you need to pay attention to every little detail i feel like every little detail counts um i also take take the movie with a grain of salt because of the time it came out in so a lot of the gripes i have if i watched it earlier would have 100 percent been overshadowed by the fact that oh my god that dog's face just split open like a like a meat flower (laughs) right but um like for example at the beginning um while i really do like the scene how uh where we first see mac how it paints him as like a uh, calculating person who's like you know smart competent like drinks a little bit and is willing to uh, drown his problems in alcohol that chess scene is it's two different it's so i don't play a lot of chess well it's two different like a whole uh like uh games so i'm not like a big chess uh chess fan but i like i played a little bit and i was wondering if that chess scene was like an ode to like you know a chess game back in the day or like some kind of move or like where he tries to like do it because he goes he goes cheating bitch i was like i wonder if the thing actually is cheating technically they're both <laughs> cheating because yeah, he, the piece that max says is not even on the board he's like rook right. to like e8 and then it, yeah there's not even an on the board right yeah, and then the board just flips, and then the uh, then the computer's like, uh, you know, uh, you know, knight to e five, and then he's just right. checkmate, checkmate, checkmate right. and then he just <laughs> so. And then there's like some other stuff too. Um, Wait, hold on, no, I know what it is. I just realized it. <laughs> I just realized it. Oh man, no, it's it comes full circle. Like he he treats the he treats the thing the same way he treats the chessboard. Yeah, he just hits he hits him with the he hits him with the old fuck you too, and then just blows him up. Yeah, exactly. He's just like, yeah, he's like we can both. He's like I don't care about this. He's like we're done. Yeah, and that's so, um, but it, it literally, uh, right. yeah, it it does show like he's willing to just solve his problems with violence at, at the second the second it becomes an actual inconvenience to him. Yeah, he's that's smart my, enough that's to my deal. Kind of mate right there. He, he he's smart enough to rationalize until the point where he can't, and then yeah. he's and then force. Just, yeah, and then he'll just put a sock in it. So anyway, so you give it an eight out of ten. 
an eight out of ten, I would uh, I would vote it higher if uh, if there was a couple of the inconsistencies that were like ironed out. There's just a couple things even on the rewatch that I wanted to really look for that didn't really like quite like sate me. But uh, the impact that it had and uh, dude, just the, the aliens, man, that thing took over the galaxy. Like the, that thing, it's horrifying. It really is, and I think Blair's. Uh, descent into madness truly portrays how scary it is. Like if that, yeah. if that, if we're in a situation like that, Jake, I'm not going to lie to you. You're going to see me just freak out. But we all got to die here. We all have to die right here in fire. Bro, I am torching your ass. You're getting the flamethrower. I'm not. If you I right say now. that we all have to die in fire, you better hit yourself yeah. too. Yeah. Oh, sure. Well, unless I'm infected, but I would, I would assume <laughs> I was. <laughs> You're like, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll do it. <laughs> like, yeah, Jake, no. <laughs> you get me Ugh. no so I, I i agree i i'm 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 uh i'm pretty much on the same page as you um i'm gonna actually um so i'm gonna give a rating um i'm actually i'm, I'm gonna give it a nine i'm gonna give it a nine and you know what? i'm gonna bump it up to a nine beyond your uh your eight which i think your eight is a fair score and i don't like to be too liberal with my with my scoring on film nine stuff man Ten's the best thing i've ever seen I, no, ten, well, I think you can give 10 to multiple things. I don't think it has to be the... You well, there's like subscribe. five things that are like the best things I've ever seen. Right. So like, I think there's there's like there's like 10, 10 films out of there. But regardless, I, I, I give it a nine. So I think the film is worthy of an eight, but I bump it up an entire score based on how it makes me feel. I watch the film and I'm, I'm excited to watch the film. I can't wait to like continue the film when I start it. I can't wait to... to even though I know how the scenes unfold, I can't wait to watch them unfold. I can't wait. The, the tension builds. I love the filmmaker. I love the uniqueness of the film. Nothing looks like it. There's no other setting. Find me another horror film that takes place in Antarctica. Any like, other movie in the Antarctic, you would just think it'd be boring. Right. It's, it's, it just does everything that you want it to do. It's terrifying in moments when it needs to be terrifying. It's hilarious in moments when it's supposed to be funny. It's, it's violent and grotesque and, and horrific when it needs to be more than things. almost anything. There's not a lot of stuff that even really matches it or mirrors it. You can only, at this point, you can almost only parody it. So I, I'm of the opinion that this, this thing did exactly what it was supposed to do. And, you know, it's Carpenter's favorite film of all of his films, and that's saying something. You know, because he made he made Halloween, which is an oh, I, yeah, no, iconic I agree with film. Him. I agree with him too, and I agree with that too. I think it's the best film he ever made, and for me, it's a big fat nine out of ten. I'm going nine out of ten. Um, you'd be hard pressed to see me give too many films that that higher rating. Um, it's but because I like I said, I'm, I'd hate to be too liberal, but I just love the film that much. I was so excited that we talked about it on our first episode. Glad we got through it. It was a little jumbled. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that, um, with, with the way that we unpacked it. And, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it too. And if you haven't seen it and you just listened to us basically spoil the whole film, I don't think it's really all that spoiled. Cause we talked out of, we just, dis we discussed the film in such out of order manner that you could probably still go back and watch it. Just put the pieces together. Um, which is always nice, but it's a great film. Uh, if you haven't seen it great, if you haven't seen it in a while, like we had, Definitely go back and give it your time. Oh my god, absolutely worth the rewatch. Hour and thirty-five minutes. It's nice and short, nice and tight. Blow right through it, no problem. Questions asked, just just knocking it right out. And it's a great, great time, great use of your time, um, great use of your money. Um, you won't, you won't, you won't regret it. Um, so after the now, now that the ratings are done and the podcast is wrapped, what we're going to do next is we're going to take another quick short break. 
And then we're going to discuss what's coming next. So hang tight. We'll be back in probably about 30 seconds. With the thing john carpenter's the thing it was an amazing uh amazing film we loved going back and watching it again talking about it, it was a blast um we're gonna talk about what we got coming next thanks for uh thanks for tuning in what do we got next here oh we got uh, the old sunny liston biography we're gonna be whipping yeah. that thing together so that'll be a part of our biography series um that'll be episode one of that um we're doing a research compiling what we need to for that um that's going to be the story of sunny liston um this was errol's pick so uh errol why don't you tell the people a little bit why you want to talk about sunny liston yeah so um as we were saying earlier we were going to uh, you know talk about a couple of like fights and like different uh like you know just uh, like sports moments in general and i feel like this man had um important enough moments and a tragic enough backstory where if uh if you're not familiar with it it's definitely worth looking into and um it would be it would definitely be my pleasure to uh to bring that to you this is uh the man that uh defeated uh muhammad ali you know or at least one of the people to do it there's not a lot of people who can say they beat the uh arguable greatest champion of their domain which happens to be boxing which uh I guess technically, if you are the best boxer in the world, then you're the toughest person on the planet. So, I mean, this man who, uh, you know, was the toughest man on the planet, uh, simply, uh, I don't believe he got the credit he deserved. And I'd love to kind of bring some light to him because he does, at the very least, deserve that. Yeah, amazing story. Amazing story. I haven't really, I've only gotten to do some of the skimming of the research that we're compiling. I do want to correct you on one thing. He actually did not, he did not defeat um, uh Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay. Um, oh, but he did. You he know, did fight him know, twice, though. You know who um, I had him confused with, and I'm terribly sorry. Who's that? George Foreman. It is. Uh, well, yeah, no, George Foreman did, but it is. Uh, I believe uh, Joe Frazier. If I'm not. Ah, mistaken. you're right. You're right. Yeah, you know what? That's an that's a that's an easy one because he was the first to do it too. Yeah, you're right. You're right about that. That's that's a good. That's an easy mistake to make. But uh, yes, yes, no, terribly sorry, uh, George Frazier as well. Um, Joe Frazier. Uh, yeah, sorry. 
sorry, George for yeah, sorry, Joe Frazier. Um, his story was uh almost as tragic, but not like as tragic. But yeah, he uh, if I uh, if you don't mind, real quick, uh, him if you didn't know him and Muhammad Ali had bad blood, and he was uh he was right to not like him. I kind of after watching a story about a uh, uh, Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali's uh backstory, I Muhammad Ali is not the not the great person who <laughs> yeah. was painted it as. It's, yeah, we'll, we'll get of, into some of that. You know, we'll get into. Oh no, we'll have to if we're going to talk yeah. about anything. You know, we're if we're going to talk about anyone great. You know, we got to talk about him. So yeah, Muhammad Ali could he could make it into our list too. I mean, we got the man fought. You know, sixty one times. There's I'm sure there's there, stories there's that nothing that we'll be able to add to like right. any kind of document. But like you know, we'll we'll I'll tell you how I feel about him, and I'm, I'll tell yeah, you right we're now. Working in. And he's, he's not great. <laughs> Uh, he's he's good, but he's he could have been nicer to his to his colleagues. I'll tell you that much to his fellow his fellow <laughs> brothers. That would be yeah. cool. Would have so we'll cool. go down that road. We'll uh, we'll dive into a little bit of that. We'll start with Sonny Liston. Um, it's going to be a biography series. Um, that'll be the first episode of that. That should be due out in a couple of weeks. Um, just keep an eye out um, on our Twitter page. That's going to be at peripheral v one two three. Um, you can email us at um, peripheralviewspodcast at gmail.com. Um, these are going to be posted. All these episodes will be posted and available to you, uh, the loyal listeners, on soundcloud.com forward slash peripheralviews123. That's our SoundCloud page. Check that link out. Everything's going up there for now. Um, <clears throat> in the coming weeks, we're definitely going to have something available to you guys on the Apple Podcast app. That's where most people listen to podcasts. If you guys are peeping us there, um, you're probably backtracking at this point if you're listening to us because you're probably because this stuff's not available to you guys on podcasts. And if you're hearing us now on this episode, then you probably went back to listening. Thanks a lot for that. Um, but we'll also be, um, like I said, we're going to be working on getting on Spotify. We have a website in construction we're working on. Um, having that launched probably in the next month or two. Um, that's pretty much a wrap for the podcast. We um, appreciate you guys listening. Um, hope you'll check in with us again. Like I said, um, we're working on the format. We're going to get things a little bit more organized as we go. Uh, give us some time, work with us. This next one is a big project for us. We're really excited to talk about Sonny Liston. Um, he's an icon, an American icon. We're really pumped to it to kind of dissect his story. So if you guys just uh, keep an eye on, on all the socials and we will have that up and running, we'll have that up and launched within the next couple of weeks. So once again, thanks for listening and signing off is Jake and Errol here on the Peripheral Views podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.